You expected like he would get the lesser charges, but maybe not the the big one. Um, when the police chief and lieutenants and a bunch of other cops started actually saying, speaking out against him, you know, breaking that thin blue line of silence, I knew he was going to get charged for something. Yeah, definitely the manslaughter at the very least. Yeah, it's um, hard to overcome your own people speaking out against you. Especially when you're dealing with a police case, because they never, they never do it. Like, that's, it's an absolute term I can use because it's something they never do. And when they do do it, they often get um, backlash within their own ranks for doing so. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty substantial. Yeah, um, the third degree murder is kind of weird, but I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm I'm glad he got I'm glad he got all three. He should have gotten all three. Yeah, it seems like it's like it's like he was charged for the same crime in different ways. And then in that case, like why would you get both of them? Why not just get the worst one? I, it doesn't make sense to me that you would get both of them. But I, I don't. Well, know if it's applicable, either. I mean, if it's applicable, it's applicable. I don't really know the nuances between second degree and third degree murder. Third degree. I th- I always thought it was like a more reckless kind of thing, like uh, shooting a gun at an open crowd type type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I don't, know, I don't how, know how manslaughter would work into this, but second degree is when you don't enter a situation intending to kill someone, but you do intend to kill someone. Yeah, exactly. In the it, yeah, it, you ha- you make the conscious decision to do it, which yeah. absolutely was what happened. <laughs> I I, um, I I avoided rewatching the video. I, I never haven't watched seen it. it in like a year, but I I don't watch those. I can't watch these videos. When I it first it. landed, I didn't know what I was about to see. Like a friend was was showing me their phone, you know. Right. And man, that guy's face, you know, when he when he wasn't getting off, but he knew you you could see that that there was something setting in that that this guy was like totally unresponsive right he wasn't getting off because he didn't want to like change the decision he made or something but you could see in his eyes that i don't know like he knew something massive had just happened it's also not the first time he did explicitly this thing he had a have a teenager go to the hospital after making him go unconscious for doing the exact same thing years ago oh yeah, he has an extent, and you know this speaks to the larger cause because what um, Bernie Sanders is saying and what the Attorney General of Minnesota is saying, Ellison, mm-hmm. is that this isn't so. This isn't justice; it's accountability because it's still just one step of a much larger problem that we're seeing, um, which is a sentiment I absolutely agree with. Um, I still do think a lot you know, of people that, are coming down on LeBron James now. I, I don't know too much about that. You didn't hear about this? Okay, so... I offhand, peripherally. Are you familiar with the... I think it was in... Was it in Columbus, Ohio? Uh, 
like a 16 year old girl was shot. Yeah. As, as the verdict was coming in for Chauvin, it happened. So like sort of in that moment, LeBron tweeted or whatever that, um, you know, something to the effect that this is good, but this is not justice. And I think he, he, he was referencing what had just happened in Columbus and he was like instantly calling for justice with respect to that. And then there was like this sense that maybe people were jumping to conclusions too quickly because she did have a knife. She was attacking people. And so LeBron ended up removing his tweet and just kind of replacing it with one word. I think it said accountability might've said justice, but, um, a lot of, I've, I've seen it on my own personal Facebook. Um, people basically saying, you know, LeBron, you're not an intelligent man. Um, just keep doing what you do well, basketball, right? <laughs> but he's become, for for whatever reason, he's become that like that part that everyone's clinging on to and to talk about this situation. You know what I'm talking about? Like as yeah. soon as as soon as the controversy started bubbling up, I saw for like two days a stream every few hours of Fox News. Um, publishing a news story talking about an interview that they had on the Fox News channel with like an ex-athlete who turned into a military person or whatever speaking out against LeBron. It was just two days straight of news Fox News articles featuring Fox News interviews speaking out against LeBron. Well, with the it's just further speaks to how lost they are in this Biden administration with the lack of controversy is the need to create it. Um, so that's really all that is. Yeah, and it's like they a were, void. They were doing that with this trial too, which I definitely wanted to bring up. But before that, I want to have the backdrop that USA Today and Ipso, they do polls all the time. They did a poll um, at the 55% of Republicans support the conviction of uh, Derek Chauvin. So this is like overwhelmingly the country thinks this is a just thing have you seen what percent of democrats agree by 85 i think i think it was 85 percent. yeah i just wish Um, it was higher than you know yeah well you have to consider how bad it is the QAnon is like at least 20 to 30 percent of the republican party right now like the Mm -hmm. QAnon type style of politics so you always have to take that into account with this type of thing totally um but yeah, Tucker obviously is not one of those 55%. The entire right-wing media news infrastructure is not part of that 55%. Um, I, uh, so yeah, the turn, start, you could tell the, the night of that Tucker was like ready to go with showing clips of riots. Yeah, he had distri- a, a plan. Yeah. And he, yeah, it all got tossed out. I, wanna, uh, I want you to click on the first clip we have here. Um, the one under the USA link? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, he, so the, uh, a person they have on a lot is this guy named Ed Gavin. He used to be a cop and he's like a soup. He's like a super cop. He's like the kind of guy you would expect to speak out in defense of these things. Okay. But like he's not having it this time around and Tucker's not having him not having it. <laughs> it's, and we get to see, we get to see that we get to see a little nugget 
we get to see a tiny morsel of the true Tucker Carlson. All right. Because he, yeah, because we always see his image. We never see who he really is, but we get to see it just for a moment here. I think just before I get started on this, I think on the screen right now, there are three Muppets, not just two. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, four, really. Gavin's kind of, he's usually a Muppet too. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen him. I've seen him do these interviews before. He's not usually on our side of these things. <laughs> I don't know if I've brought this up before, but the way Tucker sort of um, looks at the camera with a facial expression that he expects his viewers to mimic it freaks me. It's out. priming. It's all part of the propaganda. It's priming. You know, it's the way he. It's why he uses so many adjectives and descriptors when he's when he's um, talking about things because it's all it's all to implant. Right. So it's all on his face, too, for sure. People are going through the windows of Macy's and the cops are just standing there. Do they resign no, no. because all, obviously have... their honor is being no. violated, but they're not doing anything about it. When do they start doing something about it and protecting everyone else, not just George Floyd? No, no. What I, I want I want people to protect. I want the police to protect people. But when specifically what we're dealing here, we're dealing with a person in custody who was handcuffed and he was subdued. Right. At that point, you know. We have to take a different tact. And, and one of the things I just want to suggest, well, Tucker, I'm there's a, totally there's a thing. to believe that. Yep. Yeah. The, 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 the U.S. Department of Justice wow. came out with a, a position paper on positional asphyxia and sudden death. It was published in, in, in 1995 and again in 1998. I think every law enforcement officer should read that. It should be read at roll calls. Because what it does, it, it talks about the physiology of the I feel like I'm watching Sesame Street. Now, like I said, Mr. Floyd was brought under control. What, what should have happened at that point is uh, EMS should have been summoned and he should have been placed in an ambulance and a supervisor should have been yeah. called to the scene. I, I just think that it was excessive yeah, and well, it shouldn't happen. And what I'd like the, to say, the guy more, who did it looks like he's going to spend thing, the rest of his life in prison. So I'm kind of more worried about the rest of the country, which thanks to police in action, ooh. in case you haven't noticed, is like boarded up. <laughs> so that's more of my no. concern. But look, I appreciate look, you coming look, on. Look, Ed Gavin, thank look, you. Look, look. Nope. He's mad. He's no, no more, mad. No <laughs> Does he have He's... a nope done button like on his desk? <laughs> it, he was so mad. And that laugh, that that maniac. He's a maniac. He's an insane person. Yeah. Like that's that's who he really is, because um, I don't know if you, have, if you ever. I'm sure you did when uh, he had Rucker Bergman on. He is a Dutch sociologist. Um, he he had he had him on Tucker. Tucker had him on a show because this guy went to Davos, which is this international conference where billionaires get together to try to talk about how to save the world. Uh-huh. And Rucker goes there and he's like, we just need to tax you guys more. You guys just don't pay your taxes enough. And it like caused this huge controversy that Tucker loved. Tucker brought him on a show thinking that like they could spitball back and forth, you know, playing the the anti-elitism game that Tucker pretends to play. But Rucker just spent the whole time t- telling him like you're a millionaire that's a puppet for billionaires. You're no different than the people I was talking to at Davos. And Tucker freaks out on him, curses at him, tells him to f off. No. And like the only reason we get to see this is because someone on the on Rucker's side was filming this video clip. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it's absolutely worth seeing at some. I mean, I would even, 
I mean, if we're going to be here for a while, we should pull that up. I don't care. How long ago was that? A few years ago. Um, but, you know, it like definitely keeps... Trump? I th- ish, yeah, yeah. Ish. Yeah, I think... Let me look it up real, real quick. But yeah, he's a, he's a brilliant guy. I, it's either Rucker Bregman or Rucker Bergman. My dys- dyslexia is getting to me. Bregman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, yeah, it was 2019. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, let's check it out. Yeah, I have a clip. Board it up. <laughs> so, <that's-> <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like straight up Sesame Street right there. <laughs> yeah, oh, the Muppets. <laughs> Just like what was that? The, the original show. It was called the Muppet Show. Was it called the Muppet Show? Like back in the day. Uh, you mean like the sitcom thing they did in the nineties? I don't know if that was the first thing Muppets, but yeah. No, no, I'm talking like Jim Henson. Or not, they're not sick, not the sitcom. They had like a variety show, yeah. Yeah, it was like a stage show, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I was. I didn't. I don't know why I said sitcom. And then was it? It went into the nineties. It didn't start in the nineties. It was an eighties. No, when was 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 the seventies and eighties? Well, uh, Jim Henson died in the eighties, right, or the early nineties? Sure. Yeah, eighty nine when it started or no that's the that's the jim henson hour 1976 yeah wow i was way off by that yeah i I mean i only saw that show as a young person and i couldn't really appreciate it but nonetheless uh, good show should i watch this whole eight minute thing you think no no just let me try to find the part we're taking a huge tangent here but i think it's worth it Uh, wow! The whole clip really does. Yeah, it's about a, it's about a five minute clip. If you start at the beginning, we don't have to watch the whole thing. Okay. Oh, I'm against the globalist elite. Blah blah blah. Uh, it's not very convincing, to be honest. Why don't you go? yourself you tiny brain and i hope this gets picked up because you're a moron i tried to give you a hearing wow. but you were too uh, you can't handle the criticism can you we got to be talking about texas yes. that's it texas 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 all the rest is bullshit in, in my opinion i mean it feels like i'm at a firefighter's conference and no one's allowed to speak about water what's one of the Sure, I'm not an expert on Davos history, but it is a bit hypocritical, wow. isn't it? I see. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yes, it is. Yeah. I, 
and, and others have noted that. We've noted it on this show. We've just never gone to Davos and said it out loud as you did. So if I was wearing a hat, I would take it off to you. What was the, what response did mm. you get? Uh, I mean, they were not very so happy with me. But I'm just, just a, I think, a, a, a random Dutch historian yeah, who's basically saying whatever on, around the globe is thinking. You know, the vast majority of Americans for years and years now, according to the polls, uh, including Fox News viewers and including Republicans are in favor of higher taxes on the rich, you know, higher inheritance taxes, higher top marginal tax rates, uh, higher wealth taxes. It's all really mainstream. But no one's saying that at Davos, just as no one's saying it on Fox News. Right. And I think the, the, the explanation for that is quite simple, is that most of the people in Davos, but also here on this channel, have been bought by the billionaire class, you know? You're oh, yeah, and uh, eloquent and precise. So I just went there and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to say it, just as I'm saying it right here on this channel. Well, what was interesting, I thought, about what you said was that you noted something. I mean, many people have called for higher taxes. But very few well, not on this channel, is it? I mean, almost all of the pundits on this channel for years have been against higher taxes, right? Even though the, the vast majority of Americans is in favor of it. I mean, I would, I, I don't, I don't know. I, it would be interesting to know how many hours of Fox you've watched, but I'm interested in what you said about tax really? avoidance. Would that be interesting? So, yeah. Just because someone faces a specific tax rate does not mean that person pays that Mm -hmm. I don't think Netflix, for example, paid any taxes last year mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. so what would you do specifically to make certain that this class of people pays what they're supposed to pay? Well, it's about multiple things. So we should really crack down on tax paradises and on tax avoidance. That's a major issue. But it's also about having higher taxes. So in the 1950s, for example, in the 1960s, in the golden age of capitalism, as historians called it, we had top marginal tax rate for the very rich uh, of about, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent, actually, under under Eisenhower, the Republican president. And this was also, you know, one of the there best periods in American history. And the rest of Europe. Um, so, as yeah, a historian, for me, it's all not. You know, it's Those it's really not rocket science. We should go just go back yeah. to to simple and straightforward well, solutions from the. I'm sure he's aware of that. It just doesn't help right. his argument. But <laughs> this country was sustained, and since you're a historian, I guess you would know this. Sustained mm -hmm. by an industrial economy at the time that was broad and deep that mm -hmm. that created a middle class that doesn't exist anymore. So it's an entirely different economy. I wish it did exist. Oh well, but that's not that's not really an issue. I mean, work the same way with an entirely different economy. Well, I th I think it would. I mean, uh, America is still pretty much the most powerful country in the world, right? So um, if it if it really would want to, it could easily crack down on uh, on tax paradises. But the thing is, I mean, you guys have brought into power a president that doesn't even want to show its own tax returns. Oh, uh, no. I mean, who knows how many billions he has hidden in the Cayman Islands or in Bermuda. Um, so I think the issue really is is so something like five hundred million people being bribed. Or no, that's how much not being, he was in debt. You know, not talking about the real issues. Uh, what the family, you know, what the Murdochs basically want you to do is to scapegoat immigrants instead of talking about tax avoidance. So I'm, I'm glad you're now finally raising the issue. Ooh. But that's what been been happening for the past couple of years. Uh huh. And I'm taking I'm taking orders from the Murdochs. Is that what you're saying? Oh no. 
No, I mean, it doesn't work that directly. But I mean, you've been part of the Cato Institute, right? You're, you've been a senior fellow there for years. You've been, you've been taking their dirty money. They're funded by Koch billionaires, you know? Wait, why don't you tell me how it does work? He's trying well, to. <laughs> it works right. You're taking their dirty money. Uh-huh. It's as easy as that. I mean, you are a millionaire funded by billionaires. That's what you are. And I'm glad you now finally jumped the bandwagon, you know, of people like Bernie Sanders and AOC. But you're not you're not part of the solution, uh, Mr. Mr. Carlson. You're part of the problem actually. AOC wait, but, but can I just say and y- y- AOC it's true, right? It's true, right? That all the all just the anchors, has to throw out the buzzword. All the anchors on Fox, <laughs> they're all millionaires. How is this possible? Well, it's very easy. You're just not talking about certain things. It doesn't even play where you are. It doesn't play where you are. Why have you heard of the internet? <laughs> I can watch the things whenever I want, you know? I have, actually. I, I, I can't say I'm a great fan of your show, but I do my homework when you invite me on your show. So, I mean, you're probably not going to air this, uh, but I went to Davos to speak truth to power, and I'm doing exactly the same thing right now. You might not like it, but you're a millionaire funded by billionaires, and that's the reason why you're not talking about these issues. Yeah, only now. Come on, you jumped the bandwagon. You're all like, oh, I'm against the globalist elite, blah, blah, blah. I love to see uh, Tucker rhetorically defeated. Why don't you go f*** yourself, you tiny no. brain? And I hope this gets picked up. Because you're a moron. I tried to give you a hearing, but you were too f***ing annoying for me. Uh, you can't handle the criticism, can you? <laughs> There's a war on alternative. Wow. Dude, that was so perfect. It's one of my all-time favorite clips because it just so it shows so much. It like completely pulls down the curtain of faux right-wing populism and what it really is. Like that it's that's it right there. What's Davos? Davos. Davos. Yeah, it's like a conference where like a bunch of billionaires get together and they pat themselves on the back on a stage and they talk about how good they are at solving the world's problems. Is that basically oh. my interpretation of it? Huh. And he, he, he was there as a speaker? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and they didn't like and it? He, oh, they tore into it. No, that that clip is awesome, too. He tore into them on stage. He was like, yeah, we just need to tax you guys more. And everyone in the crowd is like, oh. <laughs> wow. Like, shocked to, to be hearing this. <laughs> but yeah, that's a huge tangent. Sorry about that. I guess we were talking about... We can get back chauvin and whatnot it, it's all you know it kind of ties in because we're talking about how like the right-wing media just tries to stir up things that aren't there and another thing i wanted to bring attention to was how they're honing in on maxine waters uh she's a congresswoman from california she, mm-hmm. um has been in congress since the 90s she went over to minnesota uh with to be with the protesters have you heard about the quote that what she said no. So yeah, she was with the she was giving quotes and she said uh I hope we get a verdict that says guilty, guilty, guilty. And if we don't, we've got to stay on the street. We've got to get more active, we've got to get more confrontational. And so the right wing media 
as a whole has latched onto this quote to say how violent the left wing is, how inciting the left wing is, how like inappropriate it is for politicians to be commenting on active uh, trials, even, you know, even though the jury is sequestered, if they don't, that doesn't fit into their narrative at all. Yeah, they actually latched on to what Biden did, even though he did it very calculatedly that it wouldn't have had any bearing. Yeah, this is an extension of that same thing. Like these two, like Maxine Waters and Joe Biden, have tied together with their statements as like this huge outcry that I've just been hearing nonstop. The GOP, the GOP tried to censor her in the House. Okay, for the for this comment that didn't go anywhere. Um, but you know, if you look at her voting record, she has voted yes on every major issue that like affects us you know she has been on our side in every single vote for 30 years now and if you look at her campaign finance history she has never taken corporate donorship in her entire time in congress so like these are the only two outcomes i care about i hate this i know right she's the type of politician that that uh right-wing populists say don't exist in congress but they do they just don't get the kind of power they deserve because we vote for like these entrenched corporate ghouls on both the left and the right. Mm -hmm. And we do that because we respond better to propaganda than to anything else. Yeah. Or is it because I don't know, like they're embedded and we like things that are familiar. Well, I just, think that you know we've only recently have come to a threshold where information is democratized um before the internet it was very much a manufactured concept of how we got our news um so it's kind of we're kind of like trying to just still work as a mass society trying to break that illusion that's been set up that's like yeah created these politicians you know like Barack Obama was very much a created media thing. Like yeah. I think I think his uh his presidential campaign, his 2008 uh, presidential campaign won a marketing campaign award. Like one of like the most prestigious marketing campaign award in the world, like his presidential campaign won that. So like I don't I I don't think we live in that world anymore. I don't think the Democrats can get away with that kind of thing again. No. Well, his 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 campaign was like the first major political campaign to leverage new media right that's how that's that's how he got to all the young people you get the young people to vote not only did he get to the young people but he got young people to vote i remember at college i actually his first term was voted in an 08 right i volunteered for uh i've never volunteered for anything in my life i don't even know why i did it i just I volunteered for this like student organization to help get people to register to vote downtown for a day. And I got like a t-shirt out of the deal. I don't even know why I did it. Well, I think another success to his media campaign too was like it very much what I criticized Tucker Carlson for it. Like it appealed to populism in a very successful way with rhetoric and sentiment. Um, and that get that gets people to vote. You know, that's what the 2016 election was. It was the it was the election of populism. Who was I say I say I say that all the time. 
Who was Obama's first opponent, political opponent, in 08? Like, uh, in the primaries or in, no, the, in no. the... McCain. McCain. I'm sitting here and, like, why didn't I consider the Republican? Because I'd never identified as a Democrat. I just always preferred the Democratic candidates. <laughs> McCain, they, that was like a really respectable campaign. One of the things that gets clipped from that time period a lot these days um, was when he was giving a town hall in Arizona. and this woman, this really old woman was straight up afraid. She's like, I think he's a Muslim. Aren't you going to, he's like, he's and John McCain shut it down. He's like, he is not a Muslim. I know his family. He is a decent person. He is a He's an American. And if he wins, I will respect him as our president. That's nice. Can you imagine a Republican saying that in 2021? No, exactly. How far we've fallen even since 2008. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It is. And I think in part it's because I feel like there's always this trend toward um, in, trend toward being less, maybe it's just how I am, less, um, I don't want to say genuine or pure or direct. I want to say like less serious about the things that come out of your mouth, right? Like, in Shakespearean times, every word was so important. When we wrote letters, like, we latched on to everything. That just doesn't happen anymore. And maybe that's because of the abundance of information out there, but I think that's relatively true. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And the whole the whole concept of decency doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, uh, Howard Dean, I don't know, do you remember him from... Mm. The 2008 presidential t- primaries? I do not. Yeah, so before Obama was nominated, he, well, he, he was the guy who was running in the primaries. He got taken out when he did that scream. He's like, we're going to go to Texas and New York and Pennsylvania. <laughs> and then at the end, and then we're going to take the White House. <laughs> and, 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 his, and like within that week, his whole political camp career was done. That's, like, that's yeah. surprisingly familiar. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Just that one thing. Yeah. It, isn't it crazy how, like, the stupid things stick in our politics? Like, he actually has great, he was a great, as far as policy goes, a pretty decent candidate for that right. time period. Right. Um, but he was on a podcast this a few days ago, and he called the GOP a sentient YouTube comment section. And I, I think that's like such a perfect descriptor for like the age of, yeah, we don't really care about our words anymore when it's when we have politicians using SD, anti-SJW rhetoric yeah. on the Hill. Yeah. Where are we at with Chauvin? Um, still going through what people are saying. One yeah, just one thing I wanted to say about um, the right wing media trying to demonize Maxine Waters. Like one thing that they'll never yeah. understand is that the the left does not look to politicians for justification or approval to cause unrest if it's necessary to cause unrest. That's not how the left works. You know, it's never been like that. Which is funny, because if you look at the right in the comparison, you have the QAnon shaman who went on 60 Minutes 
and it was crying about how daddy Trump made him do it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You will never get that on the left. So I'm tired of like, yeah, politics may not be as decent anymore. And, you know, you might get Maxine Waters saying this thing. You might get uh, Cuomo over last summer saying something stupid on Twitter. But uh, I don't know. It's just not this. It's just not a. It's not a both sides thing. It's just not. But the thing, uh, Nancy Pelosi said some pretty stupid shit that I think everyone in the country would agree was really stupid. If you want to play that clip, okay. Um, Have you heard about this at all? I don't think I did. I don't. This think is I did. so cringe. This oh is so, so bad. <laughs> Man, Tucker's such a piece of work. Blows me away. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna come back to him later. Okay. Um This is a public Thank speech. You. Thank you, George. Thank yeah, this you, was George right after Floyd, the verdict. Okay. For sacrificing your life for justice. For oh. being there to call out to your mom. How, how heartbreaking was that? Call out for your mom. I can't breathe. But because of you and because of so thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous. Huh. How thank you, George Floyd, for dying. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> Well, it kind of reminds me how they, how he, that they spun the story after he died that growing up he always said he was going to change the world, and um, they told his his daughter that he'd change the world after he died. Yeah, but you realize how embeddedly twisted this is. Like she's essentially saying thank you for dying so that we could arrest the cop who killed you. Yeah, it's like we know you did it on purpose, and thank you. <laughs> not even that it's just like it it, it takes so much to get a cop arrested (laughs) Mm. that like i don't know thank you for screaming for for your mom on video like she says that in this clip she basically says that oh no she yeah she didn't use the word screaming but otherwise she says that she called out for your mom yeah i think maybe being being a woman someone who has developed a motherly instinct through your own family or whatever i think maybe you could relate to that a little better than you and i can like, i should, no, uh, i no, no i think it's just bad i just think it's tone deaf i think she way over prepared <laughs> oh yeah i, I believe she, that i think she thought she was saying the most profound thing, but like her just lack of understanding of these issues came out in her first three words. Or four words, I guess. Thank you, George Floyd. Yeah. Thank you for dying so that we could arrest the cop that killed you. Like, that. I don't know. I, I think that just frames how much further we have to go we have to because like what it what it took was 
high-def video and from multiple angles, multiple eyewitness accounts willing to testify, cops willing to testify, um, a global protest movement. Uh, and, and we were still uncertain. Oh, hey, look. He was gonna- the mask, that woman to the right of Pelosi, is that mm-hmm. someone recognizable? I don't know who she is. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah, yeah, her. She's got a mask on that says Good Trouble. Remember what that's <laughs> No. That um, really groundbreaking black politician who passed away last year. I'm, I'm always bad oh, with names. John Lewis. Yeah, yeah. That was like an old quote from him, I believe. Oh, okay. I mean, from, I, from I have his, his like troublesome days, you know, from his young Bernie Sanders days. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone should have been up to some mayhem in that time period. It was like a badge of honor to get arrested. (laughs) I remember reading when I was reading the assassination of Fred Hampton, uh, the book, there's like a scene because it's mostly it's a lot of it's written narratively, like as if it's a story. And there's a scene where they're in the Chicago headquarters of the Black Panthers and like, you know, a bunch of like. 17, 16, 17, 18 year olds come busted in being like, yo, we just got out of jail. Like, they were so stoked for like getting arrested for protesting. <laughs> yeah, right. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's basically all I wanted to say from the Chauvin trial. I guess uh, Merrick Garland is opening an investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department following this verdict. Yeah. So we'll see what, what comes that of that. It could, well, it depends. I mean, uh, he'll, what we'll probably end up seeing is a reinstatement of consent decrees, um, which I have described improperly on here before. What they actually are is just like lukewarm reforms. Like if the DOJ sees systemic, uh, quantifiable instances of discrimination they can install a consent decree which basically lets them put regulations on your pd department mm-hmm. um but yeah it's the kind of thing it doesn't go nearly far enough uh i i yeah i don't know i don't the doga historically has never really done much with police to my understanding mm-hmm but I do, I do like Merrick Garland um, as a DOJ head. So I expect uh, competence <laughs> and, um, you know, e- even beyond that, I, I expect a form of excellency in terms of things running smoothly in that department for once. It's a nice uh, breath of fresh air after having Bill Barr in there for like two years and then Jeff Sessions before mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Jeff, Se- Jeff Sessions. <laughs> Straight up justifying on Fox News that separating families is a reasonable deterrent. Now, this is, this is very lofty and speculative, but do you honestly believe it could be remotely possible for our country to be moving at the pace we're moving in terms of quote-unquote progress if Donald Trump wasn't our last president. I mean, say we had a normal 
quote, say, say we had George Bush again as our president for four years. Like, right. Just, like, I just, we, we wouldn't have had all these conversations. Um, systems wouldn't have been totally like burned to the ground. I just, I, 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 I find it like really fortuitous that we as a country and as a world had to grapple with the likes of Donald Trump for the last four years. And yeah, there's definitely I'm not an element praise to him, it. You know, he doesn't deserve it. If anything, he's playing a part to his grave and I'm going to treat him like the part he's playing. But realistically, like the pace at which we're moving is something we've been frustrated about for decades in the U S because nothing ever moves. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it does echo back very similarly again to the Hoover, Hoover era of politics where um, that was coming off like the progressive era where there was like massive exploitation um, that wasn't really addressed in the workplace. And Hoover Hoover was you know, fueling the flames in that in a lot of ways. And, you know, Hoovervilles, like the, the you know, entire neighborhoods being converted into like tent homes of homelessness mm-hmm. got his name because of his ineffectiveness and in being able to handle the situation. And then FDR comes in right after that um, and does these huge sweeping his- historic reforms that like between that and the war changed this country. Um. So I I think it kind of is cycling back to that part of our history where there's just been so much inefficiency and so much bad politics for too long that things are just, they need to move fast for a while again. Yeah. Um. Uh, So... Just to follow up on the Chauvin thing a little bit, recent police shootings of black people, that it's back in the news, right? Oh, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the week during the trial. Let me go back to that. I have notes on that. This 20-year-old Duarte Wright was killed by Kim Potter. This happened miles away from the court, from where it was happening in Minneapolis. That was the taser incident? Yep. She's been charged with manslaughter. Um, I've never held a police taser. I don't know how similar it is to a gun by weight or feel. Well, the, the, it's actually... It depends, because there's so many different types of tasers. But this mm. specific taser actually is pretty similar to a gun. Um, mm. It's just the difference is left and right holster. The design problem. Yeah, it's a huge design problem. They try to fix it by having it on different sides, but in the heat of the moment, people are going to probably go with their dominant hand without thinking about it, which I think is what happened here. She does say taser in the video. Right. Um, but yeah, it's still manslaughter. It's still, like, still completely negligent behavior that we shouldn't be um, tolerating from police officers. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the, a judge also had to tell police off. So after this happened, there was a lot of heavy protesting going on in Minneapolis. A judge had to tell police officers to stop 
assaulting and arresting journalists again because they were doing it during the summer last summer. To so just because they're like just attacking everybody, or because they're trying to suppress the cameras. Yeah, no, this speaks back to this was a huge problem during the summer protests, where there's a lot of specific targeting of journalists. Um, Really? Yeah, like a CNN reporter got arrested live on camera on CNN. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) um, Australia, I remember there was like an Australian reporter that got her camera broken and pushed to the ground. Hmm. Uh, It was a huge problem in Portland. So yeah, I mean I think I think we saw that flare up because we had to spend the last 3 years prior to that hearing a president talk about fake news nonstop and that's part of like how fascists build up powers by sowing distrust in the free press and hatred in it. If you go back to the Capitol riots on the 6, uh you can look at the photos of uh AP's tent getting completely destroyed and all of their cameras and equipment getting completely destroyed. Mhm. So, it's it's all a part of the same kind of structure. <laughs> um, and then also what happened last week, 13 year old Adam Toledo of, well, he got, it was actually, this happened in March. We just saw the police body cam footage get released where the official statement was kid had a gun video shows kid did not have a gun. He was and, driving a car, right? Or no. No, I think he was running. Oh. Yeah. It's my understanding of it. Again, I don't watch these videos. They're too much for me to watch, but um, that's my understanding of it. I could be wrong. Um, and then, yeah, so I also want to bring that up because this is a part of, this goes back to the Chauvin trial too. Uh, if you read the official report released right after the incident when George Floyd died, I actually should try to find it. It just shows how unreliable official police reporting is. Yeah, that's that's true, true, very true. I mean, um I brought up the fact that I got caught with weed in college 15 years ago on this before. Um my police report almost every line of a half a page description of the incident was inaccurate in my police report. Uh-huh. And that, that was just me with, I mean, a bull pack of weed in a dorm. Yeah, definitely. The, he, uh, they do everything they can to justify their, um, their actions. And I'm trying to find the official statement. can't find it though but yeah the official statement said something along the lines of uh agitator in medical distress i don't know something like that didn't speak to the truth of what actually happened at all i think i think like the sheer fact that a lot of people in law enforcement support kyle rittenhouse is Evidence enough that there's far too many people in law enforcement who 
aren't looking at their job with the right perspective. They don't have their head in the right space. It, you, you hear people bring up figures about crime saying like, you know, black males commit a lot more crime than other demographics. Um, but, you know, all people who fit the demographics of criminal, you know, that that brings in a lot of things like law and objective morality and all these things. But like anyone who would, who would fall under the category of criminal in this country have built up a very adversarial perspective with the police and it's it's like it's like an arms race in a sense where the cops are are obsessed with the criminals and the criminals are obsessed with the cops and they can't like they can't pull their nose away from the screen right it feels like a chicken egg situation but it's not Cops cause crime. Uh, yeah. Jails cause crime. Right. If if these things went away, there wouldn't be as much crime. The or, yeah. or if these not went Go away, ahead. if these yeah, things yeah. if these if these things were you know heavily toned down. Mm-hmm. The war on drugs, the private prison system, the deep historical context of slavery and other um, actions against black people in the U.S. All these things play extremely important pivotal parts in um coloring in the raw data right mm-hmm. i mean yeah you can you know people that try to justify their racist behavior can appeal to statistics all they want but they're not a taking all the statistics into account and b asking the underlying question why why do these people commit more crime why are black people committing crime at a disproportionate rate? Why are black pe- people poorer at a disproportionate rate? And it's really uncomfortable for these people to answer those questions for some reason. Well, I know. Um, I know one peoples who have an answer to those questions. There was um, something posted on my Facebook a few days ago by an old friend. Um, from where she went to high school, someone had issued a, an assignment to some high school students at Waverly High School. I'm going to pull this up real quick and you can check it out. Pretty wild. I, I don't know what to make of it. Okay. One sec, I just need to block some things from view. I'm going on Facebook. Okay. Check this out. Um, can you see the stream? 
I can even yeah. just like read it or whatever. But uh, no, I can see. This is the assignment. It's pretty blurry, so we can just scroll down. Um, but basically, like someone posted uh, a picture of this assignment that was handed out at this high school in Ohio. Um, they had to watch a video from PragerU. You've brought up oh, PragerU no. before, right? Yeah. What What is that again? Uh, it's it's Coke and Prager funded. Dennis Prager is another multi billionaire, mm. far right libertarian, dark money piece of shit. Um, Prager funded after school extra credit propaganda. That's all that it is. Okay. They have done some really disgusting videos, probably the most recent and uh, worst and wor- worst one they've done recently was a video trying to demonize uh, John Brown uh, as an abolitionist and trying to glorify uh, uh, Lee Custer or general Lee as like some hero. Uh-huh. Like it's, it's, it's insane shit. It's insane. Like 1950s, 1930s, 1910s shit. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Like I, I get angry when I watch PragerU videos every time. They're so bad. Oops, whoops. Trying to get a better view of this document, but and uh, and yeah, a huge part of Betsy DeVos's school stuff when she was in the the department of when she led the Department of Education under Trump was getting these PragerU videos in as many schools as possible. That's crazy. Uh huh. So, okay, so they they had to watch a video from PragerU, right? And then here's the questions. It's a little blurry. I'm going to read it. Um, issues facing blacks discussion and review questions. Directions, watch this Ugh. video, the video, and answer the questions. Use the back of the page as needed. This is straight up high school assignment. Print it out on the paper, hand it out to students. Number one. In Ohio. Well, yeah. Okay. okay. So there's there's like there's a leading sort of statement and then the question, right? So towards the beginning of the video, Mr. I don't know, Starks explains that nothing holds someone back more than seeing himself as a victim because of victim. I've seen this video. You've seen this video? Yeah. So this this was assigned to a high school in, in Ohio. Yeah, because a victim is not responsible for his situation. Everything is someone else's fault, and the victim sees little chance of of improving his life. How can he get ahead if someone is holding him back? All this makes the victim unhappy, frustrated, angry. Wow, this is so weird. This is how too many blacks see themselves as victims, so much so that their victim status becomes their primary identity and ruling ideology. Unfortunately, many black churches preach this victimology it's victim blaming shit many black parents pass it to their children inner city schools teach it to students and the black media reinforce it question one why do you think that churches parents and schools perpetuate this victim mentality yeah it's 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 victim blaming shit that's so If you think that's bad, you should you should watch these videos. And I don't know. You, I don't know. The the whole right wing YouTube infrastructure is set up this way. Well, this brings me back to 
our first or second episode of Get It Out when I brought up um, ha- my my question about how grade school teachers are held accountable by the administration and people like who's watching them, right? Remember I asked that? Yeah. Like, frankly, who, I mean, there could, there's so much stuff that could be introduced to students without their parents ever knowing. And, 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 you know, maybe that's an argument that a lot of evangelicals make. Like, we hate public schools because you teach kids evolution. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. The, in, the indoctrination argument goes both. I mean, one person's indoctrination is another person's education. So. Um, and, and, and now you can actually, like, you can choose to send your, your kid to charter schools. So there's, like, non-public school options where yeah, you don't have the to charter pay school out of things pocket, are, really. Uh, Charter schools are super problematic, though. You, this is where you see the um, the exponential. Yeah, that's just, again just that just as bad. This is where you see this kind of stuff grow even worse. Yeah, well, I'm not saying like the, I'm happy that people who disagree with the public sort of idea of things likes to build walls and go to their own social media spaces and it like causes warped things to to like grow in silos i yeah, get charter, that charter charter school is the uh echo chamber version is it's it's like if if twitter if like yeah if we turned our echo chambers into the school system that's what the charter school system is mm-hmm. it's really problematic and if you look at the data of what kind of charter schools are being built in this country it's this type of charter school right it's really bad <laughs> it's it's not good and like uh yeah i'm gonna be do- i'm gonna be doing a focus piece on this down the road because it's getting it's getting off the rails how bad the charter school stuff is blowing up and it started really um with katrina and it harkens back to like kind of what you were saying earlier which i agree with but it's also a problem that people see change in destruction um and so when katrina happened a bunch of neoliberal like privatization fueled Cato Institute libertarian type people went into New Orleans and they're like, this is now the perfect opportunity to install our charter vision dream mm-hmm. or our charter school vision dream. And they, and they did it to my understanding. And it's, it's, we're now seeing it like proliferate throughout the country and I have real big problems with it. Um, but that's, that's, yeah, that's a huge aside. I'm not nearly, well, I don't the, have so the data I, on me. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, when you're in America, right, everyone has the freedom, I suppose. It, so it's kind of weird. It's like, you have to go to school, but you have the freedom who teaches you and frankly, what you get taught. Yeah. Yeah. I, I much prefer a, a public kind of thing. Why would a librarian cut a kid's hair? I didn't. Oh yeah, this happened. This happened recently. A librarian cut a kid's hair. Um, it was a student and a librarian. Yeah, cut a black kid's hair. What? I don't remember. Yeah, it's like bad. a white librarian cut a black kid's hair. Biracial kid. Yeah. Oh. I don't know the whole story though. Okay. Um. 
next thing I probably would want to talk about probably might be my favorite news story of the week. Uh, Biden has acknowledged the Armenian genocide, and that is worthy of note. Is that um, where System of a Down's from? Yeah, and Serge Tankian, who is the lead singer of uh, System of a Down, this has probably been the thing he's been the most outspoken about in his political activist career. Um, is getting this is getting people aware of the Armenian genocide, right? So uh, Biden said on Saturday, uh, the 1915 massacres of Armenians in the Ottoman Empire constitute a genocide, a historic declaration that infuriated Turkey and further strained and further strained frayed ties between the two NATO allies. Um, I want to refer to a Politico article about this. Mm -hmm. The Politico article is why Biden's Armenian genocide declaration really is a big deal. Um, The reluctance of previous presidents to act has been an open wound for the Armenian-American country. It's written by Charlie Matasayan. Um... So, yeah, this was a slaughter of 1.5 million Armenian civilians. And the official line has always been, you know, from Turkey, that it was a war and there was death and destruction on both sides. But historians have very detailed accounts of how bad it really was. Um, Let's see here. So the guy that wrote this article, his grandfather was a survivor of the Armenian genocide. Of uh, the Armenian genocide, uh, was an immigrant moved to America. Survivors like him were always too traumatized to look backwards mm-hmm. for fear of what they might see. Um, but in accounting for the genocide, a moral reckoning led by the United States never arrived. Other nations—Germany, France, Russia—among them made clear that the massacres were state-sponsored genocide, but not America. In the U.S., efforts to secure that declaration were dismissed as the attempted settling of some ancient tribal feud, a dispute that America had no business being a part of, uh, but it had every reason to exert its moral authority, its American exceptionalism, by characterizing Turkey's actions against the Armenian people in clear and unambiguous terms. This was the first modern genocide so devious in its effect, in its effectiveness and in its design that even Adolf Hitler spoke of it admiringly. Mm. Uh, almost every Armenian knows the line by heart. And I'm going to quote uh, from Hitler, who, after all, speaks today of the annihilation of Armenians. So he's basically appealing to how effective the cover-up, the international cover-up was, basically, of this, of this event. Okay. Um, and he's, he said this in a speech in 1939, right before he invaded Poland, like a week before. Uh, Failing to call genocide by its name enabled and encouraged the growth of a genocide denialist industrial complex funded Mm. by Turkish interests. For decades, Armenian Americans, whose number anywhere from 500,000 to 2 million, depending on the source, found themselves fighting against an offensive dictated by Ankara and launched from its K Street uh, beachhead in Washington, D.C., lobbyists and former members of Congress. Some who once championed recognition of the Armenian genocide as elected officials worked tirelessly to prevent it from happening. So, yeah, this has been a long battle. Right. Because we we obviously have a lot of uh, financial, economic, political interests with Turkey. Um, Well, 
Turkey was like, if you admit that we did bad, then we're not going to like you anymore. Yeah, basically. Um, and every president has promised to do this. So it's, it's pretty great, actually, that Biden just went ahead and did it. It's worth noting that he did it. He did the thing. That's, that's what he, Biden's going to be remembered for, just doing things. Yeah, right? He's actually doing things. It's crazy. And he's getting like the craziest kind of backlash for it. Like he's doing infrastructure, and now all of a sudden, Republicans hate infrastructure—the one thing yeah. that they've always liked. <laughs> and it, sometimes he does something, and is and people are like, "Oh, maybe you shouldn't have done that quite that way." And then he comes back, and he's like, "I didn't mean to do it quite that way, guys." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even AOC was like, "Yeah, we're kind of impressed with him so far," which you know she will not kowtow to Biden. So right. <laughs> um but yeah I'm I'm super glad this happened. It's mostly a symbolic gesture, but it's absolutely a necessary one that needed to happen. Um like, yeah and then of course Erdogan is like, well yeah we're going to acknowledge the Native American genocide. It's like uh, <laughs> okay do do it. <laughs> I, I think that's actually important. I think uh, the world state should just acknowledge all the genocides and yeah, just that's what I'm that's what I'm all about, man. Like just let it out. Get it out there and we can yeah. move from there. It's like, oh, I don't wanna tell my my parents that you know, I'm I'm not straight. I don't wanna tell my parents that I'm not monogamous. I don't wanna tell my parents that I was addicted to heroin for five years. Well it's like eh, you're you're Living with all of that inside of you is doing more damage than good. And, and, and why do you want your parents to, to spend tens of years in a total fantasy? Yeah, it, it blows my mind. I'm not I asking you to tell your mom about that time you killed a guy. Just, <laughs> you know, just be honest about her, with her about who you are. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> um, I do I do want to uh point yeah, so Serge, like I said, he's been outspoken about lead singer system of a down has been outspoken. He uh says thank you to President Joe Biden for properly recognizing the Armenian genocide today. This is extremely important, but only a milestone towards the long road of justice ahead with Turkey and its imminent need to do the same and make amends towards the descendants of one point five million Armenians, Greeks, Assyrians. Uh, systematically slaughtered by its Ottoman Turkish ancestors. Cool. Yeah, there's only a few hundred thousand Armenians left, I think, to my understanding. Hmm. Which is which is sad, you know. And then, of course, in the '90s, they were fighting back. There was there is it's not it's a conflict, blood on both sides. Um, in the 90s, they were fighting back, and conservatives were, like, latching onto this. They just love abusing the underdog in these stories. I don't get it. Don't you think your your globo-homo conspiracy will do more to wipe out the Armenians than some genocide? <laughs> uh, I guess I haven't considered it. <laughs> 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 um 
EOP. I don't know how that would affect the Armenians. <laughs> yeah, this is actually cool. So, yeah, I don't like NBC. Uh, they've, done, they've done some shady stuff journalistically that I, I don't have them as a primary. Okay. In my head, NBC, C, CNN, and like ABC yes. are all the exact same company. And well, I know they're CNN not. It's turn- just like I also yeah, right. see all classic rock bands as one band, and they're called the right, band. Right, 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 right. No, that's fair. There's a very uh, rhetorically, stylistically speaking, very little difference between them. The thing that I have a huge gripe against NBC about right. was when R- Ronan Farrow went to them with hard evidence about Harvey Weinstein being the person that he was. NBC refused to run the story and basically fired him. But, uh, you know, uh, today, to, to Catch and Kill is like a Pulitzer Prize winning piece of journalistic work that the New Yorker did. So he did get a story out, but still, it, like, yikes, dog. Was he, is he uh, connected to NBC somehow? Or are you- yeah, yeah, he was. Okay. Um, so yeah, GOP faces massive realignment as it sheds college-educated voters. <laughs> so this is significant because this shows like a long-term kind of trend that can happen. Um, Earlier this month, Gallup released data showing a sharp drop in the number of people who chose to identify as Republican. Um, in Q1 2021, there's now a nine-point gap between the two parties, which is the largest gap in uh, almost a decade. Democrats celebrated the numbers, but Republicans and analysts were uh, quick to point out figures don't necessarily represent a departure from past political norms. Mm-hmm. The last time Democrats held this large of an advantage, Obama just won his second term in the White House. Uh, in fact, going back in time, Democrats have never held even larger. Wait, I'm sorry. In fact, going back in time, Democrats have held even larger advantages in Gallup's partisan affiliation data, uh, particularly after riding an election wave, 14 point edge right after 2008. Um, and then and again in 1999, they had an 11 point advantage with Bill Clinton's second term, and then a 12 point lead in 1993 after Bill Clinton won. So that's a trend for sure. Um, uh, And further bolstering this point of view is the fact that numbers bounce back. You know, Republicans held the affiliation edge in the mid-90s, early 2000s, and then the two parties were basically even in 2020. But another trend in politics suggests that we are seeing what might be more uh, of a somewhat typical election-related bump for Democrats. Data from Pew Research shows that different people are populating the two major political parties uh, with Republicans and Democrats moving sharply in different directions among college-educated voters. Mm. Uh, Did you want to say something before I went on? Go ahead. Okay. Um, So at the beginning of of the century, uh, Republicans held an 11-point edge on party affiliation among college-educated voters, which makes sense. You're dealing with, you know... 2000. At the, no, it, yeah, yeah, sorry. Which makes sense because, you know, you're still dealing with middle, at this point, mostly middle class, somewhat wealthy background suburban types mm-hmm. going to college. 
By the time Barack Obama was president, the figure had flipped to become a four-point edge for Democrats. Um, as President Donald Trump's term was winding down, the number had come full circle with Democrats having a 13-point edge among college-educated voters. So this data suggests that we're seeing might be more than just a sudden Democratic edge. Um, and then this might have real impacts to some election time because voters with different levels of education attainment levels have uh, long exercised their right to vote at different rates. So this is actually really important to hone in on with this part of the story, because if you look at the data of what education brackets vote, mm. you have 20% for no high school diploma, 39% for high school diploma, 52% for some college, 64% for college degree. So people who go to college vote. And more and more, people who come out of college are turning Democrat. Yeah. So when you look at those two in tandem, that could spell a long-term impact. Well, you realize that the um, higher education system, the professors are conspiring to um, change America and sell us out to China and Russia. Yeah, it's cultural Marxism. They're trying to sell us out to communism because uh, men want to be girls now, I guess. That's my understanding of it. <laughs> yeah, no girls want to be men. That's what I've been told. Well, that's the thing, though, because if you look at all the transphobia, it really is only about the, the, the male to female. They really don't mm -hmm. care about the female to male. No, I feel like, um, really generally speaking, quote-unquote, butch girls get like treated as one of the guys and never really criticized by any particular group of people. Yeah. I'm sure I'm like I totally mean, wrong. They, no, they face it for sure. I mean, if you want to uh, study intersectionality, there's definitely, you know, the, the, the gay woman has a very specific type of discrimination, but yeah, I think it's fair to say it's not the same. It's, it's not as severe and heavy as and intense as, some other types of discrimination. Hmm. Which is why I like intersectional analysis. It really helps put that kind of thing into context. Um, what do you think of frankspeech.com? <laughs> I wanted to do a whole thing on it, but I, did, I just didn't have enough time. I love this. I, we need to find clips. I, I couldn't find clips. I hope we should take the time to find them. It's a disaster. It's amazing. I love it. You saw the, um, the, when when he thought Trump was calling into the marathon. Yes. yes. Did you saw the other side of that? The Twitch stream, the guy who's doing it. No. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you can see it from both sides. He's doing it live on Twitch. Okay. Do you know where to find? I want to see the second half. Uh, I think I deleted the link I had, but I could. Okay. Probably find. I could probably find it while we're talking. Yeah. Did you see the clip where someone called in to complain about how hard it was to make an account on his website and he went full remote and started complaining about how perfect the website was and went in full vein popping redhead rage mode? No. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so good. We what, have to find What's the, the clip. deal with him beating Trump to the punch, you know? Like Trump Trump already announced he's doing his own social media site why would this man who adores trump like try to beat him to it i don't know check out this Maybe. this this article on frank speech from 421 
CNN admits network engaged in, quote, propaganda to remove Trump from presidency. How about that? Wait, what? How about that? Isn't that that devastating? So frankspeech.com, not only is it like uh, some mashup of social media sites, but it's also a live stream video on demand podcasting and news feed aggregation site. <laughs> and as part of that, it is it not is, a terrible idea for a website. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think generally speaking, we're moving towards, we're moving toward like uh, monolithic apps. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I can't find the ad- the actual article on frankspeech.com. I can only see it here in the Google preview, but it says CNN admits network engaged in propaganda to remove Trump from presidency. Frankspeech.com. That's some biting, exposing <laughs> commentary. It's like, no, they did not. everything is super frank on there so yikes i should have expected it that's that's a very straightforward thing to say yeah yeah uh mike lindell yeah i saw the i saw the trump thing so many times yeah i love it i want to find I think I think I saw like a clip in Twitter and then someone linked the the original Twitch stream. Uh if I could remember the name of he he name drops his stream name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I can't remember. He's a British guy. Okay, because uh, I knew he was yelling something. That makes sense. I, and I knew it was a plug. It makes sense that it's the plug for the thing that he's doing. Macron, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Macron, Macron. Ah, oh, that's so close. prank yeah he says um he starts like cursing at him and saying i own you bitch but they cut him off by then they're calling him a youtuber because people still don't know what twitch is apparently might take me a while to find this. Yeah, I'm looking for the other one. It's probably going to take me a while, too. I, I want to find it so bad. Macron Show. Macron Show, that's what it was called. <laughs> well, what if I go to the Macron Show Twitch? Probably has it, like, featured or something. Okay, here we go. Like, on his homepage. 
All right, I'm on the Macron Show homepage here. Whoa. <laughs> so basically, like, this is the launch marathon launch stream for the Macron Show, right? And, um... Somehow, this guy manages to get his buddy to call into the Frank speech. Everybody reply to the tweets for me with links to the show. I'll just put MacronShow.com. And we know how close his relationship with Donald Trump really is. They convince him that Trump's like on the phone. The way he fucking. The way he turned to a little hey, fucking idiot, who are you? Oh, Eric L. Morgan has just become the latest person to join on uh, YouTube. I know this is the woman that he cuts off Thank you so to much. go so to the prank. To very exclusive club of people. Yeah, that's so funny. That they have, have like a guest on, on and they're no like, yo, content. you're not important anymore because daddy Trump's on. <laughs> so I'm going to fix that. <laughs> and it, it's the way um, Mike is like members only. hand signaling to but the guy next to him. Like, dude, 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 we got to do this. got to do this. It's really funny. And what we're talking about is the coming of social credit scores. And we know, and I have that. when we warned about this, we were told. Do they bring her back later? Am I at the wrong spot? I doubt it. Why would they bring her back later? <laughs> probably not. They probably <laughs> got so angry. They just lost. They lost. Uh, yeah, because they, they cut lost away control from of the plot. Yeah. Ah, yucks. Good fucking times. We have one spike, by the way. We've got a spike, some spikes. One of the spikes, just one of the spikes, was 1.2 million at one time. Right, so right. the question. This link for me. Tweet it, Facebook it, put it fucking everywhere. The live stream. Let's get a bunch of people in here, and then I'll do some more of this crazy shit. Okay. You hang out with Mike Lindell. Company told me last. You can make it happen, guys. I'll be right back. Two minutes. I can't find it. Well, maybe a little bit more than two minutes. But you get the idea. Oh man, I found it. Macronshow.com, bitches. Yeah. Fit him in soon here, but he he just texted me while we're sitting here talking. And Dr. Zeb Zelenko has become a good friend of. I just saw your Twitter. Oh, well. Uh, just a message to the. I just saw your Twitter. Yeah, I can't find Oh, well. It's, it's something else. I got something else I could play here. For a little, little while, guys. Oh, I found it. I found, I found the uh, clip. The prank? I think so. Here, let me. I have to get my audio fixed up to make sure it's the right one. It, it's it's through the majority report, so it you know it's like watching people watch the clip. But yeah, if you go like four minutes and fifty five seconds in, we can just get the raw clip. Just one sec. You said you found something else. I'm I'm on their homepage where they have their entire stream where they trolled him on there, but they don't have the highlight clipped out. So it's like, 
a huge pain in the butt trying to find the prank. I can't find it. Oh, well. Yeah. Forget about it. Man, the his rage was so good. Because <laughs> he just gets up and stands up and starts screaming. And there's like two people still sitting down that are just so awkward and uncomfortable. And he just doesn't care at all. Mm-mm. He, um... So, basically what happens is... That, that guy, Macron, he's got like a buddy off camera who's talking to him and he's the one setting up the call. So he's like, listen, just they like got a like a sound bite of Trump saying hi or whatever. And he's like, just say you have Mr. Trump on the line and ask if, you know, I'm ready. Just hand him off to me. Right. So they like you, you saw the clip. They set him up and it, it it's so obvious. Right. It's when they're talking to him, he sounds like like a 16 year old British boy. <laughs> and they're like, oh, oh, British boy, you have Trump on the line? Give him to us. <laughs> and as soon as it happens, Mike Lindell's like, see, see, this is what they do. This is what the liberal media does. <laughs> yep, every time. This says them. And he, I found the clip, and he does it in this clip too. Here, I'm posting it to you. All right. At about 55 seconds in is when the actual clip starts, I think. Wait, hold on. Let me look. A minute 55. Sorry. Or I do a minute 45. Yeah. Oh, my computer's freezing up. It won't let me click on Discord. Uh-oh. There we go. Wow. Yeah, my computer's going so slow. I got the link. Hey, that I'm going to delete like the, these other links so I don't have to look at Tucker Carlson's face. Yeah, yeah. The guy who created Overwatch, I forget his name. I forget everyone's name. <laughs> I don't think Sam Cedar created uh, Overwatch, but no. well, maybe. The, the guy who did, he just, he just stepped down. I don't know. Maybe he's mad at Blizzard. He's like, Blizzard, you guys are... Okay, copy. This is a talking head worth listening to, in my opinion, by the way. Sam Cedar, he's really intelligent on the nuances of political discourse. So you want me to go to about 145? Yeah. Did he do something before YouTube? Uh, He's been on the radio forever. Air America, I think, is where you got to start. On? That's what it's called. Well, I guess you're doing a Frankathon. Uh, it's called Frankfest. <laughs> that's what we were. Uh, that's what we were watching yesterday. Oh, okay. The Frankathon it continues, and uh, oh yeah, that was the, the, when they got. The, they thought they got the call from uh, Donald Trump. Oh, and the glee and, on his face. Yeah, and what's sort <laughs> of really stunning is that like they 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 have this beautiful set, and they haven't quite figured out how to like pull in a phone call except for like yeah. on him on <laughs> like the phone. Here it is. <laughs> okay so your 
you're not at all discouraged by the the platform still not being up, and also what, by, what, what, wait, wait, what do you what do you mean the platform not being up? It's been up all day, and so, people are on there. What are you talking about? Did you not hear? We let people on by their phone numbers in the order they this were is not received. How you talk to your customers. Up early, we let them on. They're <laughs> the already on there just because maybe you didn't many, put your phone many, number in. Many users are still not onto the platform. Who told you that? What are you talking about? There, every 90 million people got on here today. Go print your garbage. We're done talking. You see people what we have to put up with that they see this guy's trying to say this was a failure. There's no disappointment. This was the best day for America. What is it today? The Patriot Day? This is the Patriot Day. This is the best day in America. The shot heard round the world. This will be heard round the, the world. You just, you know what? No one's going to bother and read your rubbish anymore because you're all going to be going to the just all the great collecting their paychecks. Coming. Well, you know what? You better think, change your name and come on over to Frank. Nobody will know that you were one of the guys working for these terrible outlets. <laughs> still outlet. going. 90 million people? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's so good. Dude. I love Oh Between him and Tucker getting mad, and Candace Owens getting mad, and Ben Shapiro getting mad, I'm the sh- yeah, Schadenfreude. Someone posted it. I'm getting so much of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funky. Uh huh. Having uh, so much delight I mean, watching them implode. Just goes to show you, money is not correlated with success or soundness of mind. Dude invented a pillow, and he's a millionaire now. Exactly. Did he, I'm sorry, did I say the word invent? He didn't invent the fucking pillow. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they're very nice pillows. I hear they're very average pillows, actually. <laughs> I when hear I they're lived just in New fine. Jersey, I was, I was like next door to where I lived at the laundromat that's in the same complex doing my laundry. And this woman, cold turkey, out of the blue... Walks up to me. She's like, "You ever heard of my pillow?" I'm like, no. <laughs> she's like, "You got to get one of these pillows. They're the greatest pillows. I know. I'm related to the guy who invented them." I'm like, "Okay, so you got like stock in the game?" <laughs> yeah, right. I was about to say, what year was it? Because, I mean, if they're related, I guess that's fine. But you don't hear anyone advertise like that for my pillow until after the Trump era. <laughs> It's a goddamn political thing. Yeah. Yeah, this was uh, strange. It was the first time I ever heard of the product. It was um, 2015, I guess. 2014. Yeah, it's like, I think it's like the only thing that gets advertised on Fox News. All the other advertisers don't advertise on there anymore. There's my pillow commercials on Fox News? Oh, yeah. And every single time he goes on to like be a, a talking head, he th- throws in a my pillow discount. <laughs> like a coupon code. <laughs> it like flashes on the screen in the ticker banner, <laughs> like along with the interview. Someone defined shooting fraud for you and then said there are no philosopher kings. No, I was already in the chat. Oh, you said it after? Yeah. Um, what next? What's a philosopher uh, king? I don't know. There aren't any, so I don't know. There isn't one. 
Why talk about it? Another story worth talking about. So a company was awarded millions by the Trump administration to make vaccine syringes and hasn't made a single one yet. So. Why not? So. Um. Probably because they feel like they didn't have to. <laughs> it's going to be my guess on that. NBC News did the official reporting on it, but the Hill does a nice little bullet point summary so I don't have to read a whole goddamn article again. Mm-hmm. Um, Say so the Trump administration awarded $1.3 billion to make COVID vaccine syringes to um, Apoject Systems Incorporated, Connecticut-based company. Um, so yeah, people are wondering what happened to this money, basically. Couldn't anybody make syringes? Why'd we have to hire some random company with no... I don't know. Is this just a pop-up company to get an award and then they disappeared? I don't I don't think if we paid GE some money to make syringes that they'd just not do it. Yeah, and then another thing, their syringes would be more complex than a typical needle because they would be already filled with the, the particular vaccine. Oh, is that right? And that te- technology hasn't been approved yet. So, I mean, just more instances of Trump throwing money at something that goes nowhere. This is like half a billion dollars. Yeah. Awarded 13 billion. Wait, wait, wait. Or no, I'm sorry. One, this one point three billion. So it came, oh. yeah, you're right. It came in, it came in two different, it was supposed to come in two different. They got, I think they got up to 500 million and they were trying to get more. Uh-huh. The, the link for this article says 13, I guess because they can't put periods one, in one a point. URL. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Um. Uh, so that just made me think of when Obama was in office. Um, at the time, he was really pushing for sustainability initiatives, like trying to figure out solutions, make, for, for example, make solar cheaper, right? And these sorts of things. He was looking for um, green innovation. And so, I don't know, around 2011, 2010, 20, around then, the administration put a bunch of money into these innovation hubs around the country. And I don't remember how much money it was. You probably look it up. I don't think it was in the billions, but it probably was. And um, there was one in Philly. It got built at the Philly Naval Yard, and they had some various initiatives going on, including trying to conceptualize and, like, I, I don't know where they intended to take it, but they wanted to, like, promote this new concept of a of a new industry. So we always talk about, like, trying to find alternative energy sources trying to reduce our emissions but um what some engineers at penn state believed 
could be sort of the, the best way forward was to uh, focus on retrofitting old like factory buildings and even um, to a lesser degree residential homes to be more energy efficient. So improving their insulation, for example. Right. And um, during a, f- a few years into these innovation hubs, like I guess, I guess it was decided that they weren't, they weren't making the results that anyone had wanted. So they brought an end to the program, right? And my dad, who had been following it and was Republican, saw all of that money invested into renewables and energy innovation as a total waste because nothing came of it. At least that's what he saw, right? Right. Um, So I guess what I'm getting at is like there could be arguments always about waste here and there, but like when is waste not really waste? Well, it looks not like, it looks dollar, like, not looks every like dollar the, of debt. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I just gonna say not every dollar of debt is created equally. It depends on what you're doing with that dollar of debt. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like in this instance, it's going into an ether. Yeah. This company, we, we, we don't have a shortage. Of, like we don't need syringes. So like, by the time they're going to be able to produce syringes, we're not going to need them because we're going to be like past the pandemic already, which is different than like trying to get ahead in innovative markets. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be like the, the 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 difference in that instance. Yeah, me too. Uh, so even though the innovation hubs got wound down, they didn't like get reinvested in. Um. All that work was done. It was all documented. It's all, um, it's all part of the road to pro to progress, right? We've talked before about historically renewable energies being difficult because investors don't want to invest in things that don't where they don't see a return on their investment within a relatively short period of time, like right. five years, ten years at most. Um, so one of the things that like the innovation hub was endeavoring to do was to bring those costs down for investors. So like in the case of advanced energy retrofits, you could, you could make a case for how, um, improving energy efficiencies saves you money over time. And you could actually take that case to a bank and get a loan to pay for the retrofits and, for well, that's what we're like, seeing now. Yeah. So for you as I mean, like the there homeowner, huge... the business owner, the factory owner, the property owner, it's like a net zero investment. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, like uh, there was a press conference this week because John Kerry is on the uh, energy board trying to get us in that direction. And he's saying that the private market is already doing this stuff without us. And it's our decision to help the private industry go along with these decisions that they're already making so that we can get ahead of China or not. Cause like, I don't know. Um, that's just that we're still seeing the same arguments 15 years later. That's the arguments your dad was making are the same arguments being made today. Um, even though it's not borne out in any data or at this point in the nature of the markets, like these are emerging markets and this is the future. 
Yep. Yeah, so one of the things really holding us down is one of the things you've complained about, um, big corporations sort of not caring about things that don't affect their bottom line. So, um, and you also, we've, we've had conversations about CEO compensation packages. Yeah. Um, I heard a, a, a cool little segment on, um, all things, all things considered, which is a part of NPR. I'm going to play it in a second here about, um, people coming together to reimagine CEO compensation packages so that they don't get their big paydays unless they, they reach certain like climate targets. So like the idea she's going to say is that a lot of companies say they want to do good for the environment, but because it's not like written down as um, like a stick if you don't do this, you don't get a reward. Um, yeah. They always just like pass the buck, kick the can down the road, et cetera. So I'll, I'll play it. A lot of companies have announced ambitious goals to fight climate change, but who's keeping an eye on those companies to see if they keep their promises? As NPR's Camila Dominoski reports, activist investors want to tell CEOs, cut your emissions or we'll cut your pay. Big companies are talking a big game on climate, whether they're tech giants. By 2030, Apple will be 100% carbon neutral for our entire end-to-end footprint. Food companies like Nestle. I'm committed to do what we can to protect our planet for future generations. Or even oil and gas companies. All across BP, we are changing to support our net zero ambition. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you remember that 20 years ago, BP pledged to go beyond petroleum and kept on pumping oil. Maybe you're wondering, what happens if these promises are empty? Oftentimes when we find a company is not making progress against that goal, or we just stop as investors hearing about the goal, it's time to increase pressure on the company. Pat Miguel Tomeno is with Zevin Asset Management, a socially responsible investment company. And he says one way to increase pressure is to go to the board of directors with this idea. It's time now, once there's a goal in place, to uh, tie performance on that goal to executive compensation. CEOs get huge incentive packages designed to reward them if they grow profits or promote worker safety or boost customer satisfaction. Companies could change those packages to peg some pay to meeting climate targets. So if executives hit their goals, they get their full, very large bonuses. If they fall short, their paychecks fall too. After shareholder pressure, companies like Apple and Shell have actually said yes to this. This is new territory. It's not very common yet. Janice Kors is with Pearl Meyer, a firm that advises companies on how to pay their executives. She says investors are very interested in tying compensation to things like climate goals and diversity and equity. But boards can be skeptical. Say a company decides to tie 20 percent of its total bonus pool to environmental or social goals. Have profits become 20% less important? Have revenues become 20% less important? That 20% has to come from somewhere. 
Activist investors argue that these changes do promote profit and revenues over the long term. And Coors says between investors and public pressure, she expects more companies to tie pay to climate targets. Even some U.S. oil producers like Murphy and Marathon are taking this step. The key for investors is that this is a way to hold business leaders accountable if they don't follow through. Danielle Fougere is the president of As You Sow, an activist investor group. She closely follows corporate climate targets. And for some companies? We have some questions about their intentions to reach those goals. Her group successfully pushed the petroleum refiner Valero to tie corporate pay to meeting climate targets. And now they're asking the same of General Motors. It's not clear how big of a difference these executive compensation measures will make, especially for businesses whose core product is driving global warming. But the fact that this conversation is happening at all represents a remarkable shift. It's a sea change. Activist investors spent years trying to get companies to talk about climate change, and they won that battle. So now they're telling business leaders to put their own money where their mouth is. And some big companies are agreeing. Camila Dominoski, NPR News. This makes me think of that South Park episode with the gun show where there's like a thousand there are 10,000 people in a space all pointing guns at each other, but nobody fires and nobody gets hurt because they're like, they're all just suspended in this like intense lattice of, um, um, pressure or, uh, um, conflict. It's like, it, I, I, I like this idea that at least in the U.S. and in some ways everything in the whole world, is sort of a, 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 a glass castle just sort of, or a house of cards, just sort of structured on all these opposing pressures from different groups and different peoples from the top down, from the bottom up. And like one, one huge effect in the whole market can make the whole thing kind of shatter, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, um, yeah, that that could make an impact. It's hard, it's hard to say. Uh, I would, yeah. There's really a hard way to quantify how something like that would make an impact. Um, well, the question is like, who's who's going to be willing to tie executive compensation to climate change um, factors? Like, you know, because who's who's building the executive compensation packages the yeah the yeah. stakeholders i assume um the shareholders i'd assume right yeah yeah um and so and so again it's like we we sort of are in this critical moment where we're waking up to our own power to 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 have a bottom up pressure on these on these mega structures on these corporations and these governments where we're feeling like as a people um, we can sort of contribute to this um, market of pressures where like if you're pushing down on me too much as a government, we're going to push up on you as a people. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it might be really fantastic to think about this world where mega corporations don't exist but um 
trying to trying to reconcile all the problems we have to cope with um in the present i really liked this introduction by npr to the zeitgeist that we could sort of compel our executives to flip switches that make massive changes through um putting pressure on their pain points well, it's kind of appealing to an argument of, um, in, like, instead of government regulation, boycotting is more effective. It's kind of the same argument, even though it's not exactly the same argument, um, which I, I have problems with that argument. Uh, I, government regulation is way more effective than uh, pleading to CEOs, I think. That's ultimately was is what's going to make any real difference on fixing the economic disparity in this country that leads to the climate disparity. I mean, those things have been hand in hand the entire time. We would be in electric cars right now if it wasn't for the oil industry. Yeah, that's true. Like all, all of us would be. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's really the heart of the matter is like, it just ties back. There's just been too much of the government looking the other way for too long. And that's what needs to change. Mm-hmm. I think um, just like I'm sort of implying that we can apply upward pressure to corporations, we can do the same yeah. to governments, and we can apply pressure to governments to encourage Definitely. them to apply pressure to corporations. I mean, it's like that's what we're seeing now. Uh, the, like a really the reason why Biden... prisoners dilemma. What's that? I don't know. I'm just it's like a really elaborate prisoners dilemma where you have to just like it is. you have to you have to take for granted that. Every actor is independent from you and selfish sort of thing. And like, what can we do in that like tit for tat way to get meaningful changes, meaningful movements? To carry through with this, with this analogy too, you're also having to an appeal to a monopoly of force, which is our government, which would be the warden and his inmates or whatever in in the prison analogy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we we have to reconcile the fact that, like, um, I say I've said this in a couple episodes already, but it's it just shows perfectly the 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 contrast that is America society. Uh, we have, you know, Dwight Eisenhower created the military industrial complex, but he also created the interstate highway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we're dealing with this imperial force and we're trying to. Uh, de- rightfully demand, you know, the resources it should give to us because it exists because of our taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been this constant struggle of, you know, yeah, holding this government to the standards it created for itself in its conception. It all comes down to needing to maintain focus um, in in what's going on around us to maintain our activity in the civic uh, arena, right? Mm-hmm. And like the argument that we just it's that gets us nowhere. And it's like all you hear from 
the libertarian right wing. It's just government's bad and you shouldn't limit a government in your life as much as possible. And it's such an embedded argument to have to contend with when like, it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, if, if the government is accurately representative of the people, then it's not necessarily mm-hmm. bad. Exactly. It's a tool. Who, who is holding the tool? Indeed. Um, you want to move on to the next story I have? Sure, yeah. The week. City of Albuquerque refers the Trump campaign <laughs> to the collection agency. Uh, the city is seeking approximately $200,000 following the president's rally in Rio Rancho in uh, 2019. Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller said the bill covers security costs that stem from former president staying in a downtown Albuquerque hotel every night. The security costs include uh, blocking off parts of downtown, paying police officers overtime, and covering the paid time off expenses of city workers who had to stay home. Wow. So. Yep. Uh, this just like he always does this. He never pays his bills. He did like he didn't. He didn't pay Giuliani's bill for nope. being his lawyer for the past few months. No, he we got a guy so, who's who literally can't get credit anywhere in the world, and almost half of the United States believes that he is an incredibly successful man. Yep. And the re- and you're speaking exactly to why I'm going to keep talking about this motherfucker. We're going to keep hearing why are you bringing him up? Because I'm not going to allow him to write his own history, mm-hmm. which he's been able to do. Mm-hmm. And and it's what all pre- like it's what all presidents do to some extent. George Bush is on Ellen showing his cute paintings that he's doing now. Like, yep. no, he's a war criminal. <laughs> So like I, I just like you have to call it out when you see it and yeah you know. and Donald Trump put put up his own website that tells his version of his presidency and I'm like no yeah and he just was on Hannity the other night doing Russia Gate election was stolen and we just one of the things that I wanted to bring up when we didn't do the episode last week is uh the Biden administration released an official report tying the Trump campaign to Russia. It's official. It's official in every single capacity. Now he worked with Russia. He worked with, he worked with the Kremlin on polling data, research data. They were handing it out directly to them. How did they, but this is, this is, this is piquing my interest. Oh yeah. So let's see. Yeah, this is last week, so it's on the 418 document. Mm-hmm. Um, one moment. So that title of it's from the Hill. Uh, there was Trump Russia collusion and Trump pardoned the colluder. <laughs> this is the name of the headline. No. So it's it's a well, yeah. I mean, this is nothing new. I mean, if people are people who are following the story, this we we knew this. Now it's just official. Like we knew, we knew this happened. We knew this that he the, pardoned the colluder. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he turned a but he 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 pardoned the whole Russia, the whole the whole lot of them. Michael Flynn, uh, Brad Pascal, mm. Pascal. He pardoned all of them. Yeah, yeah, right. Brought, yeah. Uh huh. And then as soon as Flynn got pardoned, uh. BuzzFeed News, through a FOIA request, was able to get like 
all of Mueller's documents on him and they were able to publish them. So like this is openly, this is open information, hard, hard records, exactly how the collusion worked. Uh-huh. And we have it all. We have the whole thing now. This was like the last piece of the puzzle that we needed. This, it was like with uh, it, it had to do with uh, sending polling data. Yeah. So little little summation here. We live in a country where a president can directly and indirectly be responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people and openly collude with a foreign power to get into office and get away with it. But a black man could be caught selling a bag of weed and be thrown away for life. That's the world we live in. Yeah, and then, you know, people have completely different news stories and justifications for that reality, too. Like... Like I said, the whole reason we're talking about this confirmation of the rush of the Russia collusion is because Trump was on Hannity on Tuesday talking about how there was no Russia collusion. Still, even though there's, we have the documents now. And what did Hannity say? Yeah, he's just playing along with it. They're, they don't. They're not, they're not talking about this part of it at all. They're just talking about the Carter Page aspect of it, about how like, you know, uh, the FBI played their hand too soon, like sneaking into the campaign. Hmm. Like, like she got in, she got in undercover uh, into the campaign before, like the documents approved it. And it's like, that's like the one thing that uh, the right wing just will forever hold on to about this story. Because um, that's, that's what they do. They have to know, they have to hone in on the one thing to, and then ignore the rest of the story. Right. That's all they can do. Um, but yeah, so, but why, why would, we- I'm sorry, why would people on Fox News, now Fox News is like, that's the people's news channel, right? Um, I don't know if it's the most watched anymore, but it was the most watched between the three for a very, very, very long time. What's their slogan? Um, fair and balanced was and what balanced, it was. For, yeah. yeah, it was like the original, and they ran America's with it for news. decades. Um, I'm so confused. Like, why? If maybe I'm cons- maybe I'm confusing conservatism and patriotism with like not wanting to collude with foreign powers, but. <laughs> Why would Fox News want to support someone who openly colluded with Russia? Well, because it still serves their conservative agenda. He still is doing the things they want done. Mm. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> it. It doesn't matter. Like, that's it. They They want power. They want their things. They'll get it anyway. They have no principles. And they show it all the time in every instance possible, you know, just have to look at, go back to the Senate or not the Senate, the Supreme court confirmation hearings. They didn't push Garland through for over a year because, uh, they were like, you, you know, you don't nominate a judge during an election year. And then yeah. they cram ACB in, I, I shouldn't use her acronym. She doesn't deserve acronyms. They cram <laughs> Amy Coney Barrett in, 
in less than a week before yep. an election. So, you know, they have no principles. They say the thing that they that their voters want to hear and they don't act on them. You know, like I I can I can show you Maxine Waters' voting record. Her rhetoric is not too dissimilar from Josh Hawley as far as appealing to the populist, but you can look at his voting record, you can look at his campaign contributions and it's fake. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah, and just people don't, and you know, it's it's it just it feeds into tribalism. The marketing campaign that was born out of Ronald Reagan's presidency, like building up to his presidency, uh, also born out of the time that Rush Limbaugh started his radio career, has become such an embedded, well-oiled machine into our uh, infrastructure now that it has just it just distorts reality on every sense of the window. Uh, you know. Bill Clinton, if you want to give an honest representation of Bill Clinton on the Overton window, he was a center-right president. He yeah. did he did deregulation with markets. He did the crime bill. You know, he fell he fell right, hard right on a ton of stuff. Um, but if you listen to Rush Limbaugh during that time period, they, that's when the communist rhetoric started up again. We didn't have that rhetoric from the Red Scare. Like the McCarthyism style rhetoric was dead until Rush Limbaugh brought it back. And when you add, when you paint Bill Clinton as a far left communist, you have distorted politics forever. <laughs> We're still living in that. That's why I talk about the Overton window so much. Like right. that's because that, it's, so it's so out of whack because of that, you know? Like that's why it's so out of whack. So that here's was the what genesis. I'm looking at. We have. China deservedly becoming a world superpower. We have Russia that struggles on the verge of being a world superpower all the time. These guys... And Russia, Russia's all in our fucking technology infrastructure still right now. <laughs> right on. These guys are starting to collaborate to um, establish fascism as a viable um, form of governance in the world and extend that into a, a, a global sense they're 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 actively conspiring to to re um, to, to 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 change the world <laughs> oh, oh man um, yeah, just to add some context to that statement real quick, because it just was recently released that we now know about 20% of all original QAnon stuff comes from China and Russia. Yeah. Um, so that speaks to that. And then also, I can't remember that there's a guy who was like in charge of uh, information for the Russian, for the Kremlin. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he talked about how his specific goal was to destabilize America and destabilize the UK to not mm -hmm. want to unify with Europe. And he succeeded at both of these things. So, go on. The Americans who are most worried about the spread of... I'll, I'll just say the spread of China and Russia are the ones who are most enabling it in yeah. this country. Yeah, they've turned into their own Manchurian candidates. It's insane. It's insane. And, like... You, there's hard research on this done internationally 
amongst several institutions in academia and gover- world governments. So you can show them hard data on this. And it's just, they, I think it's it just, I think it's just, it's a team thing. That's all that it is. It's a team thing to, the, to, to this demographic of people that cannot escape out of this type of media infrastructure. I just, they're just too comfortable in it. I, I want to say like, we all need to be as civically engaged as possible and we all need to be like engaged. But if, if, if you're not going to be, then don't be. Yeah, exactly. Because being engaged every once in a while, like every four years, for example. Well, hold. I don't know. There's, there's some. I think I understand the sentiment that it's really hard to stay really up to date on current affairs if you have a full time job and whatnot. Um, but like, there is a responsibility. There is a civic responsibility. Um. And there's an election every four years. You can figure out in that four years how to devote your time to be to be informed. And it's about having like a good base of knowledge too. It's not just reading the news. You know, you have to read books too if you're mm-hmm. going to be in, if you're going to be engaged. Yeah, I want um, everyone to vote, but like, I don't, I don't understand why disengaged people suddenly become politically active every four years, right? I guess, like, why are you going to fight for things when you literally have no idea what's going on? Yeah, I think it's, I think that's the success of... do more uh, harm than good. I think that's the remnants of the success of traditional media, which puts us into a fervor every four years. Yeah, I think it's, it has something to do with the transition from traditional broadcast media to internet narrowcasting. I agree. Yeah. And then social media, of course, fuels that too, with the way they do things. I got a pretty interesting clip here from the BBC about um, about what, what I was just talking about with China, um, trying to extend, trying to put it in their words. Trying to normalize genocidal nationalism um, and make it okay for big countries to dominate little countries and rework the world to make it safe for autocracies redefine human rights seems pretty interesting you want to check it out yeah can we take a just a quick break before that yeah let's take a break and just give me like a 20 30 seconds
Okay. One sec. I'm gonna change our category to just talking. Just to have some more reach. We had five viewers a little while ago. Oh, we have five now. Cool. Alright, I'm gonna put us back on. You want to hear that clip? Yeah. All right, let's do that. So this is BBC News Hour. You're listening to the BBC World Service. I'm Julian Marshall, and this is NewsR. China's President Xi Jinping this week called for a shake-up of global governance and challenged what he called the hegemony of some big countries. In a keynote speech to the annual Bo Ao Business Forum, Mr Xi did not name names, but Chinese officials have recently referred to US hegemony when criticising Washington's global projection of power in trade and politics. Hegemon? China itself has Hegemony? been widely criticised for yeah, its suppression of dissent in Hong Kong and British. accused yeah, by the BBC. US and others British of genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang. Like President yeah, Xi yeah. offered no That's rebuttals but pledged that, however powerful it became, China would never seek I do sometimes wish I had Hegemony. a British accent. Global governance should be fit for a political and economic order that has changed. Follow the trend of peaceful development and win-win cooperation and fulfill the realistic needs of dealing with global challenges. We should hold the principle of consultation, cooperation and mutual benefit, abide by true multilateralism, make the global governance system go forward fairly and reasonably. The future of the world should be mastered by all countries in the world. Rules made by a single country or just a few countries cannot be forcibly applied to others. The world order cannot be led by unilateralism from some country. Equal treatment, mutual trust and respect should be made a priority in relationships between countries. Arrogant treatment of other countries and interference in other countries' domestic affairs will not win the hearts of the people. And to the Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Wait, that was a guy from China? That was Xi Jinping. He, he, he's telling, he's saying, he, so he's basically saying government should stay out of our business? He's saying world government should stay out of his business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, they're going to talk about it, but I wanted to see if he had anything to say. It, um, it, when it, when he first starts, it's like I agree with the things that are coming out of his mouth. I think. Yeah, definitely. But he's being a massive hypocrite because he's slaughtering Igers. Yeah. 
discuss the speech we brought together, Dr. Shin Liu, a senior lecturer in international relations at Liverpool John Moores University, and David Rennie, Beijing bureau chief for The Economist. To Dr. Shin first. This was a pretty, uh, good talk. pretty assertive, some might say aggressive speech, wasn't it? I think from the outsider's point of view, especially the Western point of view, it could be seen as a little bit assertive or aggressive. But what he said basically just represents what most uh, ordinary Chinese people believe. David Rennie, has President Xi inherited a more confident, assertive China, or is it one of his making? It's a bit of both. So this is my second posting in China. I was here 20 years ago for a few years. Back then, when Western politicians said to Chinese leaders, you know, we've got a problem with this or that piece of human rights, the argument you'd hear back is, well, China is a developing country. You know, maybe universal human rights are something wonderful that you can aspire to when you get rich enough, but let us get rich first. That kind of argument has now basically disappeared. And I think it's kind of chicken and egg. Was it that China was becoming stronger and more nationalist and Xi Jinping became the leader? Or is his own personality, which is clearly very, very forceful and controlling, has kind of accelerated and catalyzed those forces? Either way, in 2021, you have a China that is no longer even willing to pay lip service to the idea that universal values essentially were drawn up at the end of the Second World War when they founded things like the United Nations. China no longer says that those are valuable at all. China says that the job of a government, and it would say it's, it's a magnificent success of this, is to produce the most benefits for the most people. It's a majoritarian project. And a very large number of Chinese are on board with that and would say what's happening in Xinjiang is just about controlling dangerous Muslim radicals. And if it looks a bit rough to outsiders, well, tough. And maybe the CIA is, you know, stirring up all this hatred anyway. It's an ethno-nationalist majoritarian project where 70 or 80 percent of the Chinese people are delighted about how strong and powerful China is. They're not actually that fussed if the rights of minorities, whether it's Uyghurs or Muslims or Democrats in Hong Kong, are crushed with an iron fist, because that is this Chinese vision of how you run a new world order. I think we need to understand that we are living through a turning point in history where China is no longer interested in hiding its self-confidence and is challenging everything that we thought we knew about the rules-based order going back to the end of the Second World War. This is what gets me. Uh, I'm not sure whether whether or not uh, I'm going to 100% agree with what David said about uh, China's self-perception, which is necessarily to uh, be about iron fisting against uh, those dissidents. I'm not quite sure whether that is the core of the the whole idea. But if you look at the personality of Xi Jinping, I do think that he's not just about control. He's got a very poetic kind of understanding about his country based upon his experience of working in the countryside in the 1960s. But also, on the other hand, he's actually quite outward-looking as a heritage from his father's experience, who was one of the most outspoken reformers in Chinese history in the 1980s. He's got a very clear understanding that China is going to pursue a development which is, first of all, alternative to the Western model, 
And we got our own aesthetic, we got our own experiences and cultures, and it just looked different. And also, we're going to be globally significant. I'm not quite sure whether or not Xi Jinping's understanding about the Chinese aspects is actually deliverable or understandable to the outside world, but I think that's just something that takes time. So if we just simplify that into something as simple as authoritarianism, it's not very good for communication. David Rennie, China says it'll never seek global hegemony, but it is undoubtedly the case that China will become globally more significant in the 21st century. What will the world look like with China reframed in that way? Look, I should say that China has every right to become an extremely powerful and important country. It has 1.4 billion people. It was artificially weak and poor for many decades because of all kinds of historical reasons, not least the appallingly damaging and misguided policies of Chairman Mao Zedong. When those were ended and overthrown and China restarted, it has naturally become a fantastically powerful country. And that is right and proper. It's China's place in the world. But I do think that if you believe in universal liberal values, if you think that the world learned useful lessons about the dangers of genocidal nationalism, of ethno-nationalist hatreds, of big countries believing that they should bully small countries, and you believe that there was a value to constructing a global system, however imperfect at the end of the Second World War, whether it's things like the UN or the other institutions, we should understand how China intends to change that. China intends to construct a new version of the UN Human Rights Council, new definitions of democracy to basically make the world safe for autocracies. And we see this having an effect beyond China's borders. So Dr. Xin is right that China has the right to decide many things about what happens inside its own borders, but it will have consequences for everyone because China is allying again and again with countries like Russia, Syria, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, giving each other cover, redefining what human rights are, redefining what democracy means until it basically means nothing at all to make the world safe for autocracies. And that, I think, would be a tragedy. Jonas David Rennie, I was also speaking to an international relations scholar, Shin Liu. That's it from this edition of NewsHour. From me, Julian Marshall, and the rest of the... Huh. It really changed a lot of things in my head when I heard that. It made me think that, like, we really are on the cusp of a new world. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which is what One Piece has been saying since the 90s. Yeah, I like uh, how the one guy was drilling on the ethno-nationalist, like, mm-hmm. majoritarian aspect of the whole thing, which I don't think is done enough because it's it's they're they're fascist more than they're anything else right even though they call themselves communist they're far right before they're far left there's nothing far left about them (laughs) this idea that like the vision of the global order that the western world sort of architected after World War II, sort of inevitably um, I don't want to say coming to an end, but it's not going to be like the sole actor on the on the world stage. Um, it's just 
it's hard to think about. I've been thinking about it for a long time. I'm used to it and I'm ready for it. I think it's a necess- it's absolutely necessary. We've been so overrepresented for so long. And when you look at the history of how we asserted our dominance on the world, it's really fucked up. Like we can, uh, uh, you know, feign moral outrage. Well, it is, there is actual moral outrage. Like what China is doing both domestically and internationally is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, that outrage needs to come at the cost of acknowledging our own history, you know, post-World War II, which is sending the CIA to democratic uh, sovereign nations in South America and completely destroying their democracies and allowing for authoritarians like Pinochet to come in. And then our economists like Milton Friedman would work directly with Pinochet and set up these neoliberal havens of deregulated markets that set up the global world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, let's get mad at China, but this needs to come at a cost that, you know, why is China that what made China? (laughs) It's, you have to, you have to keep going down. You have to get to the core. I appreciate this idea that we need to face uh, our country's behaviors, but, um, how can we how can we honestly expect like maggot patriots to um give other countries their fair share cuz that's just not their perspective and yeah they don't even consider it you know why, like uh, so wh- how come how come just to finish my question how do we justify ourselves saying that their perspective is not valid because it's not so do you know what epistemology is i know the word and i know i think it has something to do with um stemming from something yeah it's differentiating opinion from justified belief these are two separate things Uh that's that's how you determine that the things they believe are not justified because the things they believe stem from really bigoted and vitriolic things they they might not it's be justified simple. like objectively or for everyone but can you really argue that they're 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 hurting themselves with their perspective they are of course they are of course they are they're hurting themselves and everyone around them i i think i agree but when they're saying i just want more for me because i already because my country already earned it, and why should I have to give it up? What do you tell them? That they're wrong, and you tell them how they're wrong in a hundred different ways. You can go the historical route, you can go the economic route. I mean, pick one. You have a conversation with them. Like, yeah. it, it, your entitlement is not earned. <laughs> is, 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 a, is a very fine thing to say to someone. I saw something really interesting on social media the other day where someone reposted a like a a speech by Tom Wolf is that his name the governor of PA um yeah where i guess he was basically asked like if a if as an employer i want to bring someone back from unemployment and they tell me no because i make more money on unemployment um what can i do and i guess wolf's like they they can legally stay on unemployment and the person who posted this on social media 
was upset about that. Like, I need employees, and if it if I knew you could just stay home just because you wanted to a year ago, maybe I would have done the same sort of thing. And and Tom Wolf, I guess, I guess he's been like a small business owner in his time, so he's like, you can pay your employees more money so that they want to come back. And and the person's sort of posting was like, um, people are lazy. This is hurting small businesses. Small businesses have a hard time getting by as it is. And and the people defending, yeah, are arguing against Tom Wolf. Are are people without a higher education, without a high paying job, basically and- saying that small businesses should be allowed to stay on life support through through government policies, should be able to stay on life support by um, taking advantage of desperate workers. Pa- should exactly. be able to stay on life support by paying desperate workers poverty wages. Yeah, and- they're, 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 they're just appealing to emotion um, and to reaction. And, and that's it. They're not thinking about the long-term aspect of the whole thing, that like wages have been stagnant for so long that like the government assisting this much should not be more than what a worker can pay. If a small business in terms of just no pure, pure, pay, pure capitalism, right? If a small business is struggling to survive, then it should potentially not survive. That's like, that's capitalism in a nutshell. Yeah. So the idea that people who are living in poverty, want to support those people who are leveraging People are getting paid poverty wages just so they can afford their RV that they keep parked in their front yard and never take anywhere is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. That being said, the worst part is Tom Wolf has nothing to do with the unemployment regulations. All he's doing is answering questions, but these people (laughs) are saying it's his fault. (laughs) Yeah. Um. It's really easy to assign blame in their world. It really is. It, it, like with the COVID vaccines, like uh, it's the the reason why the vaccines are going so good. It was I had it right down as a story to talk about that we hit two hundred million uh, doses in a hundred days, which is double the original goal that Biden had. Right That's a Biden success, and they are refusing to acknowledge that they're saying that just because Biden didn't fumble, didn't mess anything up that Trump put in place, that we shouldn't give him credit for that. But that's not the reality of the situation at all. When Biden came in, there was no centralized planning to get vaccines in people's arms. They were in, they were in storage facilities, but there weren't, there wasn't enough logistics to do shots and they were going bad all over the country. So Biden had to set up this completely like unexisting centralized infrastructure and was still able to um, double his goal. Um, And that's the truth, but they won't admit it. (laughs) It's actually kind of wild when you think about how hollowed out the Trump administration became after they lost. Oh yeah. It's insane. That's like that's why none of their arguments can work anymore. The whole like deregulation, tax cut 
deficit hawk demeanor. Like none of it works anymore because we've bottomed out, man. It really goes to show you that Trump never really cared, you know, because if he cared, he would have finished what he started, even though he lost. Right. But like, what, what, he would have finished the wall. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> 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 Which there is a new story on that this week. Did you see that? Real quick, I I just want to like Sorry. throw back to last year um, when the pandemic first started hitting and Trump was doing daily press briefings. That man was the way he he used to make fun of ty- tired Joe. That man was tired Donald. He wanted absolutely nothing to do with the coronavirus. Yeah, and and he was relying on the prosperity gospel to make it go away by Easter. Yeah, and he couldn't even do enough to like be exhausted with it and just defer to experts. No, he had to be exhausted with it, exhausted with it, but still be the guy. And still make it awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, the guy to make <laughs> that that blonde woman who has something to do with infectious disease like cower in her seat when he's talking about uh, injecting bleach. Yeah. Sorry, and, do you remember and, what you were saying? Um. Oh yeah, you're, you. I just was making a joke. You were saying he was going to finish what he started. The wall. I, yeah, th- there's a story this week that people are going over the wall with five dollars in materials, like homemade ladder stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so it's like twelve million dollars per square per like square foot of wall. That's the cost, mm-hmm. and uh, people are going over it with less than five dollars in materials. Oh yeah, it goes back to probably a good solid year ago or more. There's reports of people cutting through the wall with a um a hacksaw just yeah, that, for whatever that was like reason welding it I think back that was like in place. Right. <laughs> Making it look like it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> that was like $150 in materials, I think. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah, so this bro- this broke the record. <laughs> right, because there's always a there's always a response to any actions. So uh-huh. If, if you build an arbitrary wall, arbitrary ways to get over that wall will be invented. <laughs> yeah. And also insanely innovative ones just to say fuck you. <laughs> I just, it, it bothers me that these conservatives don't understand that their policies just push behavior that's going to happen no matter what into dark spaces, into black markets, into places where people can get hurt into and corrosion. damaged even worse. And you can't mm-hmm. fall back on, well, it was illegal, you shouldn't have done it. You cannot fall back on that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, well, while we're talking about uh, GOP imploding, there wasn't Tucker. I wanted to talk about Tucker again, because, mm. um, well, before we do, before we talk about the story at all, let's like experience it in real time, like, okay. like most of us did. Let's watch the clip first. This is the college educated link. Uh, oh, Tucker's I, I, I got to scroll. Okay. Yeah. The one called Clip or the rap Clip? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, clips are going to be pink from now on. Gotcha. I, I thought it was just like um, a previously visited link. <laughs> yeah, I, I, at first I did purple and I was like, oh, that doesn't look good. <laughs> Whoops. Failed to copy. Maybe I'll make it yellow. Now you're, now you're talking about because that's distinct. The heck! Oh, like copy and paste isn't working. I'm pushing the wrong button. Okay. 
There we go. Hey, it's Tucker. Hey, buddy. And today here. Before we go tonight, a quick piece of news from the world of big tech. We spent the day hearing from quite a few old college classmates, in some cases, people we've been out of touch with for 30 years. It was nice, but here was the occasion for it. Jeff Bezos had one of his minions, a mentally unbalanced middle-aged man called Eric Wempel, pull our wow, dusty college yearbook and call around to see if we'd done anything yeah, naughty at the age of 19. Like that sounds like fun. Whoever's reporting on him. Yeah. It's like, this guy's middle-aged, Tucker's middle-aged, a mentally unbalanced mid- yeah, That's actually, the exact same thing he, he said about the woman who allegedly yeah. um, accused him of uh, sexual whatever. During the Matt's case interview, yeah. 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 He's like, exactly. oh, she was so a mentally unbalanced. Yeah. Okay, now I don't even know what that word means to him. Also, <laughs> conservatives don't believe in mental imbalance. Right? All right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> It was nice, but here was the occasion spent the day hearing from quite a few old college classmates, in some cases people we've been out of touch with for 30 years. It was nice, but here was the occasion for it. Jeff Bezos had one of his minions, a mentally unbalanced middle-aged man called Eric Wempel, pull out his dusty college yearbook and call around to see if we'd done anything naughty at the age of 19. That sounds like fun. Let us know if you hear any good stories. (laughs) Before Bezos drops any Wempel, Pull our dusty college yearbook and call around to see if we've done anything <laughs> naughty at the age of 19. That sounds like fun. Let us know if you hear any good stories. But before Bezos Jesus. drops any more of his billions on opposition research, you should know that it will not affect any election outcome. This is a news show. It's not a political campaign. No uh-huh. one here is running for anything or plans yeah. to. On the other right. hand, if Jeff Bezos wants to come over to reminisce about 1987 yeah, right. on this show, he's always welcome anytime. So, okay, that aired, right? And people were like, what the fuck is Tucker Carlson talking about right now? Like, no idea what he was. This was completely out of the blue. But uh, yeah, just a couple days after that, The Wrap Mm. released a story, got a hold of his college yearbook. Tucker Carlson identified identified himself in his picture as being part of the Dan White Society Uh in a 1991 Trinity College yearbook entry. So for people who don't know who Dan White was... Uh, it's the name of the man who killed San Francisco Mayor George Mascone and his supervisor Harvey Milk, which was California's first openly gay elected official in 1978. The guy so, from the movie, exactly. So he was in like a club that like praised the guy that killed Milk, and uh, the I have the pictures in that article too. You can um, do I have the article up? Okay. You can see another thing that he was in was called the Jesse Helms Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse Helms, for people who don't know, he was a leader in the conservative movement. And according to a 2008 obituary, he was staunchly opposed to homosexuality. Uh, for his career, Helms opposed the federal spending on AIDS on the grounds that he believed the disease was the result of homosexual behavior. Uh, Helms' legacy also included opposition to the civil rights movement, abortion rights, and he also did a 16-day filibuster against establishing Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a federal holiday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Just, so this is Tucker's... Right? It all yeah. fits into the same fucking umbrella. Yeah, and it's like, you can go the whole, like, oh, digging up a person's yearbook, you know, ha ha. And that would be fair if we could be like... If we could be, look how much Tucker has changed <laughs> in 30 years. But we can't say that because he's exactly the same person. 
I think it's so fascinating how often Fox News demonstrates like basic psychological concepts, like how um, they always project the things that they do onto their competitors. Right. Yeah, the psychology is really the yeah, like a shared psychosis is huge. Yep. Um. Yeah, you can get into the weeds with that. Priming is a big part of it. Oh man. But yeah, I just it was, it's funny because like you know that oh it all makes sense now. Because pe- people had to think back to that closing segment. It's it's funny how and how cra- how crazy defense mode he went, and he's saying we like so are you know people we went to college with as if like every single person on his show went to Trinity College in 1991. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's interesting. Uh huh. Hmm. Creepy. Like uh, Philip K. Dick had this uh, concept for a 24-hour talking head on television who like somehow never slept, never ate, was always there, and he always kept you company. His name was Buster Friendly. Wow. Yeah. So he had to have written this like sometime, I would say, in the 80s after CNN would have inspired that, I would think, right? Or was he just like thinking ahead? Dick died in the 70s. Oh, that's wild. Or early, early, early 80s. But, yeah, Buster Friendly... Um, Gosh, was that... I don't know if that was Do Androids Dream or Flow My Tears, but... Well, I guess he was a little too optimistic with it, because our 24-hour news cycle is not friendly at all. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Blade Runner. Yeah, Buster Friendly is from um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is the source material for Blade Runner. And uh, yeah, Buster Friendly would just always be on his like, so he he was a a headhunter for androids, right? And whenever he like got home, it was always the same story. His wife would be strung out on this machine that she uses to dial her own emotions and the TV would just be blaring Buster Friendly. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like how Animaniacs uh, personifies Tucker Carlson too. Oh, in the really? New stuff. Yeah. I, I still haven't caught any of the new stuff. Oh my god, it's so fantastic! It's incredible. The, yeah, the first episode is amazing. So I can only imagine. Yeah, it holds pretty well throughout the whole thing. There's, you know, it's like 12 episodes, so there's some dips, but like, sure. God damn. We should watch it. I've been watching this show on Netflix called The Circle, which has got me twisted, man. It's uh, a reality TV show that came out during the pandemic. So eight people live in their own apartment, in their own apartments in this same building, and they never see each other. And the only communication they have is through this social media TV on their wall. <laughs> so they, like, for 10 days straight, they're, like, trying to get to know each other and build alliances through this computer interface. It's, like, really trashy reality TV, but right. it's, like, a fascinating 
like peace on people and technology. It's really huh. something else. This guy from Silicon Valley named Shubham, the only like well, there's there's two black people, a bunch of white people, and then he's like this Indian kid. He's like, I hate social media. I think it's like a social medusa. It's the worst thing ever. I hate influencers. I'm probably going to be the first one out of here. He ends up like going to the very end. Everyone loves him. <laughs> it's always the people who don't want it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't think I've been watching anything. Falcon and Winter Soldier, that shit was awesome. They handled that material a lot more with a lot more gravitas than I was expecting. I was expecting like some like kind of like propaganda type stuff. I don't know. But yeah, they went hard into what it means to like have a black man become Captain America. Oh, snap. Yeah, with some pretty hard writing. I didn't even know that was the case. Yeah, because it's all because it's all you saw Endgame, didn't you? No. Oh yeah, so uh, Captain America has to go back in time to return all the Infinity Stones, and with that, that's how he retires out of the series. Comes back, he's an old man, gives Sam the shield, and then oh. the Falcon and Winter Soldier starts. And the, in the first episode, he gives the shield to the Smithsonian because he doesn't want to become Captain America. Um, and the whole series is like the progression of him turning into Captain America. Yeah, and it's Ooh. there's like a lot. They're, they bring in the character Isaiah Bradley, which is, in, I was not expecting this at all. He's a character who, uh, from the Captain America comics, is a black soldier who, he was a squadron of black soldiers that were experimented on basically to make the serum that made Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. And he was like the only one that lived. And his story has a lot of parallels to Steve Rogers. Like his squad got trapped by the Nazis and he defied orders to save them like Steve Rogers did. But the difference was, you know, he spent 30 years in a jail cell because of it. Mm-hmm. It was experimented on the whole time to figure out why he was the only one that lived. So, it, like, it, it touches on, like, the Tuskegee experiments, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And I was very impressed that they went there with that. Cool. Yeah. And of course, you know, the people that we call out all the time on this podcast were ringing the fuck out about it. <laughs> they were what uh, the fuck out? Ringing. R-E-E-E-E-E-E-E. They were raging. Oh. <laughs> they, they do not want their politics and their superhero stuff. <laughs> no. no. Even though, like, literally, Stan Lee was writing about, like, the crack ed- epidemic and stuff in Spider-Man, so... Yeah, no, just, there's there's again, no getting get rid it. of it. Yeah. Hollywood is bleeding more than it ever has. Yeah. I definitely see this Manhattan no longer prosecuting can uh oh, prostitutes. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I see that as a uh, Yeah. Huge. That's the direction, man. Definitely. We just and not only that, they're dropping like, they're dropping cases that go back to the 1970s. All of them. They're just not going to bother bother with it. Oh, but they're still yeah. they're still going after the people who Johns. Pay. Is that what they're yeah. called? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll still like entrap people or whatever they mm-hmm. do to like ca- catch that side of it. But because how else would you catch that side of it except entrapment? 
cops don't catch crime. They, they, cops don't prevent crime. They fix what happens after a crime happens. <laughs> yeah, except that so one went, time when they shot a 16-year-old girl who was about to stab someone. Yeah, right. Yeah, that shit was fucked up. Yeah, I mean, she was the one that called them, too, I'm pretty sure. that That's the story I heard. I'm starting to think it's not the true story, but it's what I heard as well. I I didn't read it fully from what I like kind of I was reading an NPR article from my understanding she was the one that called the cops because she was like under threat of assault which is why she had the knife yeah that's my understanding as well and she was outnumbered right and you, I mean you see the cops coming you should definitely Drop. disengage at that point but I, get, like, I guess yeah I, d- I don't but at that I don't point, expect you also, that yeah, I hold on, would hold on. I, I, I want yeah you wouldn't too you also have to live in the frame set she was black right yeah yeah, so you have to live in the mindset. I'm not. They don't. You cannot rely on the cops. Which I guess even if she called the cop, I got she did call right. the cops. But I don't expect that when I was 15 or 16, that now we we don't need to speculate how I would find myself in this situation. But I don't think it would ever cross my mind that if a cop saw me holding a knife, they would shoot me in the chest. Yeah, as a as a fifteen sixteen year old, there's there's this this idea that criminals well, they wouldn't know normally. what the that criminals know what the punishments are for their actions, and that's what deters them. That idea is so stupid. The only thing the only thing the majority of criminals are are, are keenly aware of is drugs are illegal and murder is illegal. There's 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 a lot of gray area there, and even the things they do know are bad. They don't know. The punishments, they don't know the details of the legal system. And I think it's kind of ridiculous that the legal system expects people to understand the details of the legal system. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the facade, but the reality is they don't expect it. They know you don't know it. (laughs) And like, it's used against you. Yeah. You know, which is why you see so many... So, so, so many instances of recording cops and then cops are like, you can't record me. And people Mm -hmm. are like, yeah, I can. Mm -hmm. You know, just as a minor rhetorical example of many other rhetorical examples of saying of cops saying you can't do X when you you can do X. Right. You know, they, they try to leverage that shit in every way possible. Um, speaking of that, so, uh, moving on to the next thing, I think, uh, DeSantis signs outrageous and blatantly unconstitutional anti-protest bill into law. That is outrageous. Yep. It's when we get into the weeds of it, it's real bad. It's like a riot is three or more people kind of stuff. It's, Um, It's the conservatives who always use the constitution to make their arguments. It's never the... The Democrats, and yet it's the conservatives who violate the Constitution more often. It's yeah, so it's crazy. Weird. Like Democrats will use the Constitution to give their defensive arguments, and their arguments are sound because they're actually using the Constitution. But they're never on on the on the offense with it. Um. Yeah, and, and this is significant too because DeSantis is like we should be afraid of him because it's a serious possibility that he is. Uh, you know, excluding the fact that Trump might run again, which I don't think he will, DeSantis is going to, and he's mm-hmm. popular. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis on Monday signed a bill into law that civil rights groups warn is designed to crack down on peaceful demonstrations and criminalize dissent by redefining riot in an overbroad way and creating draconian new felonies for protest-related offenses. Um, anything to say to that while yeah. I try to like... Why do the people who are fighting for the right to carry heavy arms through cities trying to... <laughs> make it so that you can't like hold hands in a, in the middle of a street yeah yeah um so this is a quote coming from um mike mica mika mika cubic executive director of the aclu of florida let's be clear this is not an anti-riot bill regardless of what supporters claim it is a bill that criminalizes peaceful protest and the um, impact HB1 will have on Floridians cannot be disputed. Each and every provision harkens back to Jim Crow. Kubrick went on to warn that under the new law, which is part of a wave of similar Republican measures under consideration nationwide, uh, protesters mm-hmm. could be arrested and charged with a felony if others at, if others at a protest or, or gathering become violent or disorderly, even if them, they themselves did not. Um, HB1 redefines rioting as a public disturbance by at least three people with common intent to mutually assist each other in disorderly and violent conduct. So, um, nationwide Republicans have nationwide Republicans have tried to pass new bills that make protesting more difficult. Um, I should have wrote down my my three things. Really interesting. They're cracking down on accessible uh, voting rights and yep, um, and trans rights and yeah, 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 and LGBTQ rights. There's there's waves of legislation against voting rights, in- inclusion rights, and whatever the other one I just said. All at the same time in a huge wave. Does this happen normally? Um, it's all a reaction, right? It's a reaction yeah. to 2020 because you had the George Floyd protest in the election and things did not go well for them in either case, really. So, um, Because, you know, despite them trying to frame somewhat successfully these riots as like, or I'm sorry, even I just kind of fell into their wordplay a little bit, these protests as like yeah. riotous disasters. Um that's not what the case was. They've been mostly peaceful and they've yielded a lot of positive results in terms of local and state policy already. And it's still happening. Um, so they lost the battle uh, on BLM over the summer and they lost Good the election. Trouble. So, so they're going into massive reaction mode and they're losing the battle on, on trans rights too. If you look at trans polling, you know, something like 79% of the country thinks that trans deserve the same rights as everyone else. Um, and then it gets a little bit more weedy with some more specific questions like sports, I think is like a more like a 50 50 split, but yeah, if you, um, but we always ask the wrong questions. It's not, should trans kids be allowed to play in the gender they identify with sport? The question in my mind should be, should, are we um, segregating sports the right way? Should we be segregating all sports by sex, by gender. Is that the like the way we should be segregating sports? I, I think, think so. That's the fucking debate. I I, th- I think it's I think yeah, because biologically speaking, 
there is a difference between the two when it comes to like competition, which is why like, you know, female and male boxers could, could never box each other. It shouldn't happen. The reason why I'm supportive of having trans in sports is because if you look at the research and how it happens, you know, like trans athletes have been in the Olympics since the nineties, since mm. the early nineties. And no one gives a fuck about this and no one hardly, no one talks about it. Um, no one cares because what you do is you have to transition with hormone treatment. So if you transition male to female, you, you're losing bone density, you're losing mass, you're, you know, you're not growing the, the same way anymore, which eliminates those uh, innate biological differences that are prevalent in a biological male, biological female, cis, real, uh, dynamic. But there's a whole host of questions there, like... um should sports before puberty be segregated by sex? Um, that is should a little we bit be more, talking yeah. about segregating by testosterone levels rather than sex? Um, yeah, right. So pre-puberty, I think there's a definitely reasonable discussion to be had about allowing that to be more cross-gender for sure, because there's very little physical discrepancy between uh, boys and girls pre-pubescent, from my understanding. And, and, and we then, all yeah. know that trans... Because because non-binary is a factor in this too. Trans women, that is a factor, absolutely a factor. Trans women who transition as adults um, often complain about skeletal changes and, and the like that they can't reverse or change really, right? So there are, there are developmental changes post-puberty that you can't, really undo with hormone no, treatment but you, but, you, but you can you you can fix it somewhat like yeah like you're not gonna fix your broad shoulders and whatnot you can you might be able to get surgery for it but um hrt like can weaken bone bone mass yeah and and then i guess ooh, excuse me i guess the other question would be um how long do you need to be on it <laughs> Yeah, that, that, I think that's considered with the Olympic stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's a I think it's a couple of years. I, I don't but see how this we, is a conversation allowed, for our politicians to be having. If we allowed puberty blockers, we wouldn't have to be at this point. Sure. We could just let people go through puberty in the gender they prefer, and then that's that. So it's all wrapped up, and then they're you know they're trying to limit the rights of that too, like Texas which is what we'll want to talk about too, is trying to pass a bill that would redefine uh, their uh, parents as abusers if they like let their kids go to child psychologists for dysphoria and, you know, might get recommended puberty, puberty blockers. Wow. Yeah. So like, it's a nonstop battle too. Um, but before I get to that, you know, one right they are fighting for who they, the, they, the GOP. Okay. The right to crash cars into people. What do you mean? Uh, how Republicans across the country came to endorse a terroristic tactic against protesters. Uh, the New Republic did an article about... Um, it's a pretty this short article. It's only like a handful of paragraphs. Uh, it speaks to, a, again, a broader sweep of countrywide legislation to allow this to happen. Um, and it builds off of the story we were just talking about, the DeSantis signing this new... Yeah. Uh, anti-riot villain. So earlier this week, Florida Republicans enacted a law they claimed would prevent riots in the state. 
its real purpose, of course, was to discourage protesting and punish demonstrations. One of the bill's provisions has received a fair amount of national attention, as it seems it to give Floridians permission to attack protesters with their cars. The bill doesn't exactly make it legal to run someone over, but it does shield drivers from civil liability if they injure or kill protesters on Florida roads. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, because they can get criminally charged still, but... From watching woke streams last summer, the majority of the um, police tactic crackdowns on the protests that I witnessed yeah. were, at least from the cops' perspectives, from a legal perspective, the justification for their behavior was almost always people standing in the streets instead of on the sidewalks. Yeah. And because I guess even when you're protesting quite angrily, it's still illegal to block traffic. Yeah. Well, that's the civil that's the main civil disobedience that MLK loved to engage in were marches in the street, right? Mhm. So so that has a long history. Um That's 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 an interesting like sticking point. I'm not saying it's it's a a good bill no. or anything. No, you're right. No, yeah, it's a con- it's just a consistent one. I yeah, can imagine sure. as like a driver who is really oblivious and accidentally drives into a massive protest. I could imagine maybe like being like, yeah, that law is okay. You know that <laughs> I don't feel too safe here right now. Yeah. Well, uh, to understand what's really behind this bill, uh, recall that it comes less than four years after 20-year-old neo-Nazi James Alex Fields Jr. deliberately drove a Dodge Challenger into a crowd of people, uh, counter-protesting the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he injured scores of people, killed a woman named Heather Heyer. Obvious and immediate response to this intentional attack was nearly universal shock and horror. Uh, he was charged with murder and convicted. But since just before that attack, and even more so after it, Republican elected officials across the country have been trying to make it easier for certain people to run over certain other people. Ari Wheel, a researcher at the Chicago Project on Security and Threats, counted six states that considered laws shielding drivers who attacked protesters in 2017. Uh, but most of these quote-unquote hit-and-kill bills, as the ACLU <laughs> refers to them, <laughs> went nowhere. Uh, it took a few of them. It took a few more years for the right wing propaganda apparatus to finally numb conservative conscience. It's a good way to phrase that. Yeah. And prepare them to openly endorse an idea as plainly depraved as this one. In the meantime, car attacks kept coming. In 2020, uh, Will tracked 72 incidents of cars driving into protesters across 52 different cities. I've heard high, I've heard numbers as high as 200 over the summer, but, um, oh, that's over the span of just a month. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense then. Um, the online far right memed about running over demonstrators regularly and cops openly encouraged it on social media comments. Cops also in cities such as New York and Detroit participated in the practice themselves. In Boston last year, police sergeant Clifton McHale was recorded on a police body camera bragging about hitting demo. Oh, I showed you this, didn't I? Yeah. 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 That video was nuts. That video was super nuts. Yeah, bragging about hitting people with a police cruiser. And the guy was like, yo, my body cam's on. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah. That shit was so stupid. And then he started talking for the camera. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. He he was like, no, no. You mean like, just yeah, like I really uh, love those people, you know. I just want to have a little fun with them. <laughs> I was playing GTA earlier, and I wanted yeah. to make some money, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. So yeah, now lawmakers seem to have overcome whatever uh, reticence they may have once felt. Uh, Iowa measure passed the state house is awaiting Senate approval. Oklahoma governor uh, Kevin Stitch just signed another version of it, the law into his state. The impetus for the Oklahoma bill, according to a Republican lawmaker who authored it, was an incident in which a pickup truck driver drove into a back Black Lives Matter demonstration in Tulsa, paralyzing one person. The driver claimed to be scared and notably was not charged with a crime. Oh. Yeah. Yikes! Yeah, you know when you when you get on the ground, there's so many different things going on. There's always going to be winners and losers in any in any policy. Exactly, situation. I was about to say the same thing. Actually, oh man, uh, so that's that. That's one thing they're fighting for a right to do. So they're not completely void of fighting for people's rights, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, House passed a bill to make D.C. 51st state. Yeah. Not going to go anywhere. They're calling it Washington something. Del- Del- I-, I always thought Washington was named after George Washington. It's not? Well, I think, I think what they're Uh-oh. doing is... Douglas Commonwealth in honor of Frederick Douglass. Yeah, like uh, they're they're changing the meaning of the word Washington in this moment, right? I think is what's happening. Hey, go for it! And at least this time it's going to get a vote, which didn't happen last time, so we right. can see who's going to vote no to this. Um. Which is interesting because everyone who votes now is are portraying some of the most core concepts of our democracy, which is uh, representative taxation and consent to be governed. So people in D.C. don't have these things and they deserve them. Yeah. If people in Wyoming deserve them, people in D.C. deserve them. It's but pretty DC, simple, actually. D.C. is majority black, right? Yeah. Like, huge majority black. Right. Um, Josh Hawley was the only no vote on an Asian hate crime bill that just passed. The bipartisan. only? 94, 94 to 1 vote in the Senate. Do we ever see bipartisanship like that in today's politics? So, five people didn't vote? Yeah. Okay. Which is what he should have done. So yeah, the Senate in an overwhelmingly bipartisan vote on Thursday sent Congress's strongest message yet condemning anti-Asian hate crimes by passing a bill aimed at improving data collection. The, like, So you know, this isn't some groundbreaking kind of thing. It attempts to bolster hate crime tracking by designating a Justice Department official to specify, or I'm sorry, to specifically review potential hate crime incidents, providing grants for regional law enforcement agencies to set up reporting hotlines, offers training to police, and that's basically it. That's the, like the whole bill. And then Josh Hawley voted no to that, saying that it was too broad. Only vote. Only no vote. 
And this guy thinks of himself as an eventual presidential contender, right? Yeah, I think so. I feel like his antics, he can get away with him in his home state. But if he thinks that behavior is going to get him anywhere on the national stage, he's out of his mind. Like, that behavior can get Donald Trump somewhere because Donald Trump has 30, 40 years of celebrity behind him. He's been in the zeitgeist since uh, well before Home Alone (laughs) 2. You know? Yeah, I think I think think he's just fooling himself to think that that behavior is going to win him national popularity. Yeah. Yeah, and he, like, I don't know, like, he's not embedded. Like, Tucker can get away with it because he embedded himself. Yeah, and because he's not running for political positions ever. Yeah. But you know who is? Who? Oh, uh, Matthew McConaughey? No, yeah. not that. No, wait, one. he's not actually. He's just they people want him to win more than anyone else. Who, who I was, was actually say running? Caitlyn Jenner. Oh yeah, she's running for governor of California. Which yeah, is that's stupid. it? Well, I don't know if you know this, but Caitlyn Jenner was um, oh, how to put it, Mister Garrison was playing Donald Trump on South Park and Caitlyn Jenner was Mr. Garrison's vice president. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. (laughs) Like I Um, knew Garrison was Trump. I didn't know about that other part. I think, um, I think Comedy Central forced their hands in being really coy and careful about how they talked about Trump because of the advertising dollars. I think that's why why uh, South Park has been stalled recently and why they put effort into that um, anti-Donald Trump uh, deepfake series on YouTube. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a roast. Like, guest of honor. Like, there's the roast of Donald Trump. That's a thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There was... And, like, he doesn't laugh throughout the whole thing because people are, like, straight up dunking on him. (laughs) He doesn't like that. (laughs) No. So, I don't know. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to remember who, like, was... There was a really good... Someone really tore into him that night. I can't remember who it was, though. So I guess while we're on the Josh Hawley neo-Nazi wing of the Republican Party, there was Madison Cawthorn caught a little bit of traction this week. Uh, like someone like walk up to him. There, I have, there, the clip is in here. Someone walked up to him uh, and like asked him about attending a Hitler museum because he did. Okay. <laughs> and like he was like straight up denying it, like while being asked about it. But you know he did it. So. It's a funny clip. He gets all nervous and just rolls away. What's what's a Hitler museum? Like in like a place that honors him in a good way? His in a good light? Home. No, it's not, I, I guess it's it's just a, like, it was a, like his Okay. Of like a resort. But I guess I guess museum is a stretch, but <laughs> I 
visiting Hitler's house. Uh, what was that? What was that? Did you go to Hitler's house? Nope, didn't go there. All right, what was that Instagram post? Oh, what was that? That, I believe, was the retreat. <laughs> the retreat? Okay. Visiting Hitler's house. Uh, what- <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, can I get a selfie? <laughs> how about that Hitler house? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, how come you're recording instead of taking a picture? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Is this was this the guy at CPAC? Yeah. Or am I just make, yeah. mixing two wheelchair people? Okay. No, Madison Cawthorn. Right on. <laughs> just I r- did not do that. <laughs> oh man! Nope, didn't go there. <laughs> He's just rolling away. He's like, vacation house. Oh, <laughs> like, he's <man>. like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, we have neo Nazis in office. It's pretty sweet. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, yeah, I had That's an article like, about it's so fascinating for me how the United States is, um, how it how it keeps its form. And I guess I never thought about this before, Trump, but, like, how every state is its own, like, governing body, and they all push back on each other, and it's, it's like, that all that politicking, it's really, really fascinating, it's really, like, eye-opening, it's really, dare I say, trippy. Um, it's incredible, really, and I think... I do. I think if 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 the majority of the US citizens can really get excited about it, um then we we really have a chance to um to write a big part of the story of the future of this world. Yeah, definitely. And I yeah, I think there's traction. I think these next midterms will be good. I got my I mean, I don't know in Pennsylvania, they're sending out ballot applications for mail-in ballots for this year. Like, I got it pretty quickly, and I filled it out pretty quickly. And I'm getting like, for just local di- for local uh, council seats, I'm getting a ballot in like a month or so for that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I and you know I'm aware of the campaigns actually. Uh, Divine Holscomb, I think is his last name. Uh, one of Someone running, the, helping to run the campaign is a friend of mine, Nick. I used to work with for years, and yeah, it's like a it's like a workers' movement. He's was a former uh, convict, so it's focusing a lot on the justice reform aspect of this area, which is really needed because mm. you know this is this whole area just siphons off the college to ensure constant supply of convicts. <laughs> Yeah, you know, many ways, and you know, in, in many predatory kind of ways that you can attest to. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you know, when, when you get a when you have a a, lo- a legal system, a prison system that depends upon a constant inflow of new criminals, you have yeah. a serious systemic problem that is abusing the people. Yeah. So I'm voting for a convict in a month, and I'm proud to do that. Well, cool. Because he knows what's up. Yeah. Um, and you know, like he, maybe he may, he might have a good chance to win if people are getting ballots like me. And I was getting some texts about it too, mm-hmm. which I never I never used to get texts about local elections in my life before. So, sweet. Um, 
I guess while we're on the subject, I kind of want to go back to talk about a story that came out last week uh, about uh, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, um, she's my favorite. So there's a new news organization that's popping up called Punchbowl News. And one of their first bombshells, they obtained documents that were detailing an American First caucus that Marjorie Taylor Greene was trying to start. And it is straight up Nazi shit. Um, What's a caucus? A caucus is just like a group of legislators that work together to achieve mandated goals. You know, like there's the progressive caucus, which okay. is mostly the, you know, like the more left leaning representatives like AOC, Cory Bush. So this is specifically made up of members of the House. I think so. Okay. Uh, no, I th- caucuses? No, no, I don't. Senators no. can be in caucuses too. Yeah. Because oh. I. I because I think uh, um, Ted Cruz is in the like, basically what already there already is a version of this that exists, <laughs> which is kind of why it's like not a huge deal story. But yeah. um, like yeah, Ted Cruz is in the I can't remember, I think they call it the the Patriot Caucus. I can't remember. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so reading through. Let me try to find. There's two things in this document that are like real bad. I'm, they, they got scrapped immediately because like people were calling it Nazi shit right away. And huh. so this. Okay. So the America First Caucus recognizes that our country is more than a mass of consumers or a series of abstract ideas. Sounds nice. Yeah. You know, the, the appeal to populism that is common among national socialists. And now that Nazi- 90% of you have tuned out, here's what it's really about. <laughs> America is a nation with a border and a culture strengthened by a common respect for uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions. Ooh. History has shown that societal trust and political unity are threatened when foreign citizens and are imported en masse into a country, particularly without institutional support or for assimilation and uh, an expansive welfare state to bail them out. So. Yeah, a uniquely Anglo-Saxon political tradition. That's that's Nazi rhetoric. That's what it is. That's what that's what Hitler said, talked about all the time, constantly. And with proper context, I mean, you might be able to say like Anglo-Saxon alone is not a dog whistle for anything because you know, like lawyers talk about um, Anglo-American law, for example, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly fine. But when you tie it in. With the next sentence being like political unity is threatened with foreign citizens, right? No, you're just being a fascist. You're just being a straight fash. Um, isn't that um, finance? Yeah, and under here it says while certain economic and financial interest groups benefit immensely from mass immigration, <laughs> legal as well as illegal. You know, they're just doing all this dog whistle stuff. It's they're doing the white. This is the white replacement theory talking point, actually. Yeah. So there's that, and then oh, you had a question. Yeah, um, another thing in here I want to pull up. So I can find it. It it seems like it's contradicting itself. Oh yeah, um, fas- fascism is completely idiosyncratic. So because of the fact that it doesn't hold on to actual any real principles, and it will just attract to the ones that it needs, it will always be contradictory in nature. Yeah. 
Um, goes on about American first education, which is fashy. Because they start like it's 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 all about like where you start working on your ideas. I guess it seems like they start from their gut and try to turn their gut feelings into like good words. Whereas I don't know a lot of people who think in in less selfish terms. I think try to start from research and like use cases and history oh yeah and then another thing here because they're gut yeah well they appeal to history too here which is another thing i wanted to bring up in their infrastructure part of this thing um the america first caucus will work towards an infrastructure that reflects the architectural engineering and aesthetic value that befits the progeny of european architecture whereby public infrastructure must be utilitarian as well as stunningly classically beautiful befitting a world of power and a source of freedom as the romans demonstrated so that's also fascist shit uh, the on. appeal to european like what's the progeny of european arch- <laughs> yeah the progeny of european architecture is like a huge appeal to fascism like they love like the stone columns the sleek white obelisk statues like that's a huge part of like neo-Nazi neo-fascist culture. So like like the fact that that's in here just reflects that as a one-to-one. Like not even trying to hide it. Where's the, where's the link for this? It's in the get out uh, get out of get it out four eighteen. Yeah, what page? Uh, so it's the America First Caucus. It's the oh, it's all the way up top. That's why. I, right on. Yeah, doc, documents. it's it's the it's the full document it's a seven page document i just where were you just reading infrastructure it's on the second sorry one two three third page i guess this is crazy As the Romans demonstrated with aqueducts, walls, and roads, function and beauty are not at odds. Like, that's, you know, it's fashy shit. The America First Caucus. Why does. Is it, since when does a caucus do everything? Always. Well, I mean, well, like, for example, the Progressive Caucus will have goals stated mm, in all of these yeah. things, too. Okay. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I asked you what a caucus was, so who am I to say since when? <laughs> um, so, and then the idea was scrapped, obviously. Representative Ted Lieu, who is in the Progressive Caucus, to my understanding, he's from California, um, went on some really awesome Twitter dunks after this story came out. I'm going to go back to them in a moment here. <laughs> I asked, so uh, I'm sorry. uh, Tweeting directly to Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Representative Gosar, who is also a part of this. He's like, So I have some questions about your Anglo Saxon caucus. Will non Aryans be allowed to join? (laughs) If so, do we have to sit in the back of the room because we're not white? Oh, shit. (laughs) Can we have fried rice and nachos during the meetings? Asking for a friend. Hmm. And then Matt Gates quote t- did a tweet saying that like I'm proud to join Marjorie Taylor Greene in the American First Caucus, and, the- and Ted Lieu, 
And Marjorie Taylor Green was like, I'm proud to have Matt Gates here. You're right. Uh, and then Ted Lieu was like, uh, the Anglo-Saxon caucus <laughs> created by <laughs> M.T. Green has apparently admitted Matt Gates. I wonder if their caucus has secret signals and means <laughs> of communications like secret Aryan Venmo handles. <laughs> Dude. I love it. Love it. Reflects I love it. He's calling the it the Anglo-Saxon caucus. European architecture. As the Romans demonstrate yeah it's that's that's just straight up uh, neo-nazi stuff dude if you ever see that from a politician call it out for what it is this is why i mean of course i guess you have to put it into context i guess if you like elected uh, architect into office who like really is super into roman architecture i guess you could like let it go well i think you know the, <laughs> the, the good nugget here is they're saying government-funded infrastructure projects should be not just um, functional, but also beautiful. And that's great, but everything else here is Hot just garbage. shatters my face. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff about the uh, um, Anglo-Saxon tradition is an immigration, I think. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. This was kind of a non-story-ish. Like, it didn't really get a lot of traction, but I loved it. I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. It, it, like, it, you know, it's offensively racist, obviously, and it's it's horrible that our politics are in this kind of dynamics right now, but, like, I have to find the humor where it is. Like, it's just the fact that they thought they could fucking get away with this is what blows my mind. Such a waste of time. Like, someone sat there and was like, all right, I want to make a caucus. We do need infrastructure. I want the infrastructure to be beautiful. Okay. But also, we got to bring in the fact that we need it to be, you know, European-centric. Yeah, we got (laughs) to let our mask off, like, 20, 30% here, right? Like, it was definitely a discussion, like, how mask off are we going to (laughs) go? And they landed at around, like, 20 to 30%, it seems. I guess I'm still, like fixated on this hope that when someone realizes how hypocritical and and oftentimes like bad, evil, immoral, jerkish you're being like if you could if you could have someone show it to you and you could realize it then you would stop. But I think that's not the case for almost all of these people. No, there's a lot of research suggesting that most people would just actually double down. They would double they down. Would, yeah. They wouldn't they wouldn't just ignore it. They would actively like act against it. <laughs> As a like a form of protest, like sub- unconscious or otherwise. Mhm. Mostly unconscious, I think is what the study shows. Well, yeah, I can I can relate to that like if sure, if someone else points out something to me that I should change that I wish I had noticed first, then I I resent it. <laughs> I reject sure. it. Sure, <laughs> yeah, it's a hard thing to get over. And like you know, I think it's fair to say most people don't ever really get over it. It's a constant thing to live with and yeah. to keep in check. It's like a human. It's part of humanity. It's part of human nature to be in contact. It's the like the reptile brain. Just let it. Just 
be aware that it's there. I totally agree. I think that's right. I was watching some like self-help podcasts on lynda.com. Have you heard of that site? Uh Uh-uh. So Linda goes back to like, I don't want to say pre-internet, but pre-broadband times. They used to um, like rent out VHS tapes to people, kind of like Netflix, that would teach you how to do certain things, like how to introduction to using Photoshop with this, you know, uh, six tape set of eight hours of of instructional videos. So it's kind of like Skillshare. But pre-Skillshare. Yeah. Uh, so all their stuff's online now, obviously. And LinkedIn has since bought the company. But it's still there. And they're they're expanding into like non-video podcasts. And they have like these collections of like how to, how to speak more effectively, how to network when you're an introvert. So I've been checking some of them out. Um, nice. I don't remember why I started talking about it, though. Uh, because I was talking... About- about what did I say? Yeah, no, I'm lost too. Oops, yeah, we're three and a half hours in. We did pretty good, <laughs> not, not missing stuff today, frankly. <laughs> I was talking about lizard brain. Oh yeah, um, right, right, right. So it's it's like I'm 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 listening to these recommendations and I'm I'm taking notes and stuff and I'm like yeah that's really good but I didn't think of it myself so I'm not going to do it like as right. I'm as I'm listening to these things <laughs> that, that I'm being taught or whatever yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I, I still catch myself doing it all the time yeah and it like goes back to when I was younger when I wanted to like write or whatever I was like I want to be a writer but I don't want to read what anyone else has written because I don't want it to affect my writing like well at some yeah. point I don't know if that's practical yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's definitely a thing that makes sense to some degree. Like, I should probably stop sure. watching as much, like, left tube as I do, because I feel like it's definitely influencing the things I say. But okay. um, as I'm trying to get into left tube more, but um, at the same time, there's a lot of re- merit rhetorically to keep listening to these people. Yeah, for, it's the old Chinese like, finger gosh. trap. Yeah, I mean, especially like you know, for Vosh, he builds such rhetorically strong arguments. It would, I feel like, I'd, I'd be doing a disservice to like not listen to him about some of these things. Because like he just, demeanor. you know, he he carries himself well. Yeah, you know who he reminds me of, kind of Huey. Yeah, totally calm. Like he paces himself, has like the intelligence to like back up what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so where were we going? I guess we mostly got most of this week covered. Where are we at? Fourth grader. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit earlier about how Texas is fighting the trans community, trying to relabel parents as abusers for having trans kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a fourth grader who was shamed. Who, I'm sorry, there's a fourth grader who shamed Texas Republicans for attacking her rights, and now she's getting death threats. A mm-hmm. 10-year-old transgender girl um, and the mother are getting death threats after they did public testimony to the Texas legislature, and it went viral. Uh, been so bad, they've had to go into hiding. 
and are getting like instructions on how they can kill themselves. Uh, so it's like it's part of a larger attack. You're getting a social and a legal attack all at the same time. And it sucks. Yeah, well. Um, respectfully, when you put yourself on the public stage, people are going to act like this, especially when they feel like they can do it anonymously. Oh, yeah. It absolutely. It's just like, uh, it doesn't need to be this vitriolic. I hope that we're all calming down as a nation. Maybe in a way that we've never seen before. Now that we're starting to mature to the internet, maybe we can stop all trolling each other all the time. Yeah, I think the internet needs to get rewired so it doesn't reward concern trolling all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like I'm over it. Because, like, that, I saw an interesting article that really put it into context. It was uh, um, from some social media expert, and he's like, we don't have a cancel culture problem. We have an algorithm problem. Like, mm-hmm. Twitter, the way Twitter is designed, it, it's, a, it's pitchfork designed. There's, like, a person of the day kind of thing that just gets shit dumped on them. Yeah. There's always somebody who's the person on fire. Yeah. But also... Someone's always getting that ratioed, you know? The degree to which free, free, advertised, revenue-motivated social media sites um, algorithms show you what you want to see, like, the degree to which they do that, I think is problematic like i've liked less than 10 pictures from ads or groups on facebook ever but every single suggested for you picture is almost the exact same thing and when i see like the sorts of things some of my facebook friends will like repost they it's almost like they're just reposting the same concept, but in a slightly different way. Like, like, have you ever, do you like eating this food? Comment below. I do. Do you like eating this food? Comment below. I do. It's like, <laughs> or just like, you know, every two weeks you see a similar post from the same guy. Like, how many of you people are happy you ever met me? Like every two weeks. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, it, how are you going to find the breadth of things and opportunities in the world if you're being shown yourself all the time? Yeah, it's like if you uh, get into the rave community at all, like you quickly start to see like the social media personalities that are within that culture. Ooh. And it's like, you'll check their Instagram profiles and it's literally just like selfies of them over and over and over and over and over again. It's like, yo, aren't you at a rave right now? Like, I want to, <laughs> I want to see the fucking rave pictures. Like, Oh uh, yeah, dude. What, what is this? <laughs> the vanity, it, it just yeah. gets knocked up to a hundred. Remember last year when, the shutdowns hit and there was all those articles about how nature was like recovering and like filling in for, for people. Mm -hmm. Now that 
the pandemic's winding down, I saw a picture today captioned, um, like things are starting to return to normal. The, the social media girls are on the beach with their boyfriends. And it's literally a picture of like, as far as you can see down the beach, guys holding like SLR high quality cameras, taking pictures of girls in front of them on Jesus. the coastline where the water meets the beach. <laughs> and there's just one after another, after another, after another. Um, and they're all respectively spaced out. So they're not getting in each other's pictures. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's the way, the way that, that, that modern technology is, is asserting itself back into reality is crazy. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, from an outsider's perspective, really ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but I guess NASA flew a helicopter on Mars. Yeah. So and not all technology is bad. The pilot did it from his childhood bedroom. Because Wait, what? Did he really? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, he's like, my mom always told me if I don't get out of bed, I'll never achieve anything. And here I am piloting (laughs) a helicopter on Mars. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, imagine the amount of school it took to be that person. Pretty cool. Yeah. Just the fact, I I don't remember exactly, but the delay between Earth and Mars, it's around 10 minutes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So there's, there's no getting around that delay. I was yeah. <laughs> I was like listening to again NPR a couple a week ago or whatever yeah. and they're like so you know the the message it takes about 10 minutes to come in because we don't have our own uh, transmitter out on Mars so we have to wait for their for their for their information to come to us. <laughs> I'm sitting there like uh yeah Mr. reporter if you had your own <laughs> transmitter on Mars it would be instant. <laughs> <laughs> If we could just run a cable from here to Mars, we wouldn't have to wait. I think I lost your audio again. My audio? For a moment, I hear you now. All right. (laughs) Want to wind it down? Sure. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll be back again with another recording of the Get It Out podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Peace. Yeah, thanks for listening. And it stopped. I I didn't record the first segment about Chauvin. I fucked up.